Episode 38 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I am joined, as always, by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 19 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were wowed by World Games, photosynthally challenged by Fungus, and vexed by Velocipede 2. This week, we conclude our look at the games in November 1986, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. So, Graham, fill us with your love. And tell us of the pleasures in store this episode. In this eye-watering California Reaper-infused chili con carne of an episode, we explore the speedy shoot-em-up world of the Thalamustaf Sanction, get our blocky martial arts kicks from punching and floating our way through the derisable ninja, and become enraged at the rotationally inept and directionally challenged hunt-for-a-game logic of the annoying nomad. We also get down to earth with the grounded Moon Patrol-inspired Jeep Command and grab our brooms and feather dusters for a multi-platform tidy-up with the arcade-looking it's clean-up time. If all that fiery chilli hasn't quite melted your sherry's badge, we also head off to Gaul for a slowly drawn-out game of hide-and-seek with the Romans in Asterix and the Magic Cauldron. Try and find and defuse bombs with robots or something in the confusing split-screen and brain-scrambling deactivators before finally grabbing our joysticks tight and hanging on for dear life in the turbocharged race and shoot 'em up Alley Cat. Never touch your joystick after chopping fresh chilies, AD. It will make you weep. Mmm, <laughs> fulfilling. What we got first? Well, do you know what we got first? You know what we got first, don't you? <laughs> Stop nodding at me like I should know. I'm only the host. What do I know? First up, we have Sanction. That's a big game, isn't it? Sanction. Well regarded, well liked. Mahusive, I think, is the polite term. Yeah, you know, so Sanction. So let's, let's talk Sanction, shall we? So this is a, a Stavros Fasoulis game. It's actually his second game on the C64. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't know that. What's his... His, his first game his first game is a game called Joe the Whiz Kid and was released right. in 1985. Okay. It was a side-scrolling sort of arcade platformy type collect-em-up-y shooty thing. Okay. Um, and it was made in early 1985, pre-Zap. Right. And then he obviously took some time off to learn his coding, a bit more coding. Actually, I watched a YouTube video of it, uh, Joe the Whiz Kid, and it was, it was okay. Mm. It was okay. Yeah. Anyway, this is his second game, and this is obviously uh, this is is it Thalamus? Thalamus's first game as well, isn't it? It is Thalamus. Thalamus have arrived on the scene. They have. So, ex Zap writer Mr. Lidden, Gary Lidden, is the producer on this game. So, make that way will. Probably nothing. Anyway, this is a much more ambitious game than Joe the Whiz Kid. Um, and what it is, is essentially this is a horizontal shoot 'em up in the style of R Type, Nemesis, Salamander, etc., etc., etc. So, left to right, scrolling shoot 'em up. I never knew this game had a story, but it but it does. Yeah, it's got like a, a whopper. A big and over the top and rather pointless one, really, when it comes down to it. But supposedly, <laughs> the US and, and the USSR were about to go to war until a huge UFO was discovered in the Arctic Circle, not at all inspired by the the thing what ensues is the superpowers realizing their mistakes because it was the aliens all along causing all the international tensions and the disrupted the 
aliens and all the and, and all the stuff going wrong. So they put the differences together and they decide to work together and they start Project Damocles. And within no time, we have Operation Sanction. Love these titles; they're great. So Operation Sanction is ten ships, I think, or a number of ships that have been designed to patrol the Earth and kill off any of the invading alien scum. There we go. That's sounds the story. about, no, sounds about crazy. normal. About normal. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. So, in light of that, what we have is a left-to-right side scrolling shoot up But with some... It's got some twists, so it's not quite, you know, as normal. The screen is kind mm-hmm. of... So, it's split in two, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. Almost Defender-like, kind of, because the bottom half... Well, the bottom, say, three-quarters of the screen is just your standard side-on shoot up So, enemies come on from the right, sometimes from the left. You dodge up and down, move forward and back, and you shoot them. The top part of the screen, though, is a, is a slightly wider wider view of the landscape and it's kind of like a a radar i guess is the best way to describe it so you can get a bit of an advance warning on ships coming up you know up your rear or in or 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 from the or from the front and you know so no one likes to be surprised from the rear or the front did you by the way did you say side on or wide on <laughs> no, it's side on. <laughs> okay. Contextually, no. it would have made more sense, but well, to be fair, the top-down view gives you a bit more of a wide-on view. Hey. Um, but it's from the top. But it's from the top. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what I don't know what that would be. That's like a. a, a it's, it's an angle challenge. that should never be done. <laughs> no, probably not. So you can move up and down, and and kind of like another game we we played the the other week, which I'll mention in a little bit. Uh, moving right and left speeds you up and slows you down respectively. So you can speed the scrolling up. It's not a fixed scrolling speed. So whereas things like Nemesis, uh, R Type, I believe, are just fixed scrolling speeds, and you don't have any cards, you just move around within the actual play area. This allows you to speed up and slow down respectively kind of like iridium i guess in that respect but only scrolling left to right you're always going left to right always going to the right so the objective is to loop around i think it's 10 territories um and kill any aliens you come across you know that's it blast them just blast them shoot them just shoot them once you loop around you return to the base so you start off on a little uh, landing pad and you return to a little landing pad and then you get a, a bit of a bonus round which seems you know every game has to have a little bonus round these days and this one is just a load of coins coming out you on a psychedelic backdrop like the uh, parallax title screen really and you shoot them and that's really uh, i thought the graphics were pretty pretty nice they're they're chunky bass relief should we say they've gone to the chunky chunky shop for bass relief graphics they're also portly, chunky portly. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah they're chunk but there's some the, the parallax scrolling really nice um i thought the foreground and the background the way it speeds up and slow downs i thought that was actually mm-hmm. quite quite clever and quite good the variety of the enemies is pretty decent the, the actual enemy sprites and your main sprite are, are nicely drawn um nicely animated there's a lot going on there there's a load of different types of uh, patterns uh, to learn and react to there's loads going on there's different enemy types the controls are decent enough and the challenge i thought is pretty solid i haven't spoken about the music yet what do we say about the music great great loading piece great great loading piece of music this you know this is one of hubbard's best no two ways around that it's a nice epic sci-fi type score unlike the title screen i was never i i, I can appreciate it but not, not, I've never been a massive fan of that title screen music. It's all right, but it is what it is, and it? it's a classical piece of music that Hubbard did, and it's like a very good piece. But it's, I'm not sure it fits the game. I don't know. I'm not sure what they were aiming for or what the thought was behind that. Uh, always left me a bit nonplussed. This, for me, if you flip this and put it horizontally, this felt like what Trap was aiming to be. And Trap has a similar control scheme that you can speed up and slow down. It has that same chunky bass relief nonsense, you know, graphical style in in a sense. But this does it horizontally, allowing you um, much more screen real estate space to actually play properly. The prescribed waves of enemies rather than the random nonsense of Trap. So this succeeds for me where Trap, you know, failed miserably. I went back to this and I want your 
because uh, I played Delta a lot um, in the intervening years, but I've never really gone back to Sanction. And so I was not sure whether I was going to like this or not. I actually found myself really enjoying this. It's a solid left to right horizontal uh, shoot 'em up, and uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed my time with this. I think it's a it's a cracking game still to this day. If you like shoot 'em ups, this is a good one. And you know, I think probably one of the best left to right traditional shooters we've had so far. I don't think we've had many better. Maybe I'm uh, off on a limb here, but what did, what did you think? What, what's your view? I disagree with you completely in every aspect. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Actually, no, that's not true. Let's have a massive argument. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the loading music to Sanction. I don't love it, but I like it. It's okay. The game itself is very high on production values, very low on much else. So there's a lot of demo logic in this game, the way it transitions between the game and the way it does stuff. The presentation and the trappings of the game are all good. They clearly have wrapped the game in an enormous sci-fi riddle because there isn't a lot to the game. And I think that's one of its key problems. So it's a good, it is a good side-scrolling shooter in some ways. But my feeling about this game is it's a bit of a, it's a game that is the good, the bad and the ugly in a lot of respect. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think so. So from a, the, the game, okay, the, so the music is really good in the game. It is good. The loading music, the all the game music inside. I like the Prokofiev Dance of the Night piece that, that Hubbard's done. You know, it's from Romeo and Juliet. It's weird that's in this game, but there it is. Um, and it's quite yeah, a good Yeah, that's what I that. mean. It's not that it's not a bad piece of music. I'm just not, not sure it fits. But this, but this game is a product of component thinking i think and that's so where that's where i'm coming from so the music's got the speed of the game is great now it's it moves at a real pace and i like some of the animations in it the way you blow up the, the sort of flight animations and some of the animation style is quite nice so those are the good things and the controls in the game i like the way it controlled you know it was it was it was nice from a bad point of view i thought the game lacks purpose I think even if you've wrapped it in this story, it's just endless and impossibly difficult. And it becomes even more difficult as time goes on. And it's just shooting stuff ad infinitum, which is fine. But there is only so much of that that is going to wash. It's level after level <laughs> after level after level after level of the same thing over and over and over and over again. Which is fine, but... Just if you do that, you start to lose the sense of purpose that a game like this has. Nemesis and Catechist and some of the other games that sort of, obviously they post-date this a little bit, but some of those other games have a purpose. They have an end. They have a thing. This just doesn't. It just goes on and on and on. You get bonus levels in between, but it goes on and on and on and on and gets more and more difficult. And I think the ugly part of this game is that the graphics, I think the super base relief makes the game look chunkier than it should be. This game lacks the nimbleness, and I think those base relief graphics in some ways kind of work. It's almost like this is a side-scrolling Warhawk in some strange way. So some of it's nice. The display is nice. The display, the dual display is quite nice in one way, that it's nice that it has that, but it serves no purpose to this game when you're playing it, other than it gives you kind of a heads-up of things that are going to hit you no matter what, because the speed of the game belies the fact that by the time you've seen something in that top-down radar, you can't do anything about it anyway. And so... I think the display means that there's not enough screen space for you to play the game as a player, which means then the radar is useless. So you're actually getting the worst of both things. It would have been better to have no radar and more screen space like Delta or less screen space and make the game more Iridium-like, which is kind of the thing they were going for a little bit here. So they've gone for the arcade Iridium dollar. Iridium rules this space of this side-scrolling super fast shoot. It rules this space at the moment. So Sanctions come along and, and it's brought all of the production values and some of the lessons that they've learned about what makes C64 gamers tick. So great soundtrack, tick, by Rob Hubbard, tick. Base relief graphics are quite popular at the moment and stuff, tick. Super fast side-scrolling action, tick. Lots of enemy types flying at you, tick. 
But the trouble is, and this is something that you've alluded to in other games, they've taken all of those best parts of the ingredients of a game and just bolted them together in the hope that it makes a good game. And in actuality, what it makes is kind of a boring game. So it looks great, and the first few levels, and you're into it, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Longevity, playability, and all of those things are something that is not here it's absent from Sanction. And no matter how much Rob Hubbard music you throw in there, and no matter how much demo <laughs> graphics and style and logic you throw into the production and the way you transition between levels and things like that, no matter how much of that you put in, what you are left with is a kind of dull, side-scrolling shooter that is superseded by other games very quickly. Nemesis is better than this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not saying this is a perfect shooter or anything. In fact, my comment is just going to be, well, I like it. Well, my, my question, <laughs> I, I have a question mark, and my question mark is this. So, Newsfield Publications are the people that are behind Thalamus. Newsfield Publications are also the people that are behind Zap64. And so, yeah, I know. So, so I think this is a bit of a eating your own dog food situation. And they gave this game 93%. Does it deserve 93%? Graphics look like Light Force to me. Uh, sorry, they look a bit like Light Force, but the graphics look a bit like Trap to me. So, they've got that trappy blockiness. I think they're, I think they're a much nicer version. That's what I said. I, I see this as Trap, but this is a much better version. This is what Trap wanted to be. But at least Trap had a demo. This doesn't even have that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think the real adjunct of this game is the difference between the loading screen which shows sci-fi ambition and the titles music which is a piece from Romeo and Juliet if that doesn't tell you that there was, at some point there was no conversation between Rob Hubbard and Stavros Vasoulis and the game production team then something something's badly wrong now I know that Rob Hubbard when he works on games very much wants to know how the game's going to look and feel and play so he can really tie the music into that game. The fact that this has got a standardised version of a Prokofiev piece as a tap music tells me that that conversation never happened. Maybe they did. Maybe they asked him for that. But the title, I mean, the, the loading screen, though, is very sci-fi, very fitting, yeah, it is. I thought. But, but, the titles, but the title music isn't. And what I mean to say is if you've got a team of people, think of Parallax and the way Galway was involved in that. Galway created an 11-minute opus for Parallax, which John Hare and the team were just blown away by because it tied into kind of the synth and the sort of mm. synth themes and the synthetic themes and all the sci-fi of that game. For this to have a standard Rob Hubbard version of a classical piece of his title music tells me that there's a conversation that never happened. And that worries me with this game because I think that they brought all the component pieces of the jigsaw that they thought would work together and threw it into this. It didn't work here but it did work in Delta later down the line. Maybe. This is pre-Delta for me, so it's certainly not deserving of 93%. Uh, music, don't get me wrong, amazing. But everything else, I think this game is failing and repetitive and dull. And it, I found it, you know, I'd have rather have played Warhawk for 2.99 with a Rob Hubbard piece in that than this. No, I, 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 can, I can get all that. I do. I understand that. And it is, I think, the more you play it, you do get a sense of um, a sense of diminishing returns because you do realise that there's, it's all, it's a lot of it's all shiny trousers and, and not much in there, unlike Labyrinth. Um, but um... <laughs> well, if you're going to do that, if you're going to play a game that's like that, then play Warhawk because it's cheaper and it does the same yeah, thing. Yeah, true true i think this is better than warhawk personally whether it's worth the extra cash is is the uh, next thing i think this is better than that i think it's a more solid shooter than warhawk but I, I completely understand what you're saying and i do i, I do get that I, I i'm not quite so down i think as you i i did enjoy my time with it you know and, and playing it i played it for quite a while and and it is hard i don't mind that you know shoot em ups are notoriously hard things like you know ikaruga and down the line and radiant silver gun and all those kind of don don patchy and, and all those kind of like bullet hell schmups you know they're, they're designed to be hard this is weirdly hard. I didn't. I didn't mind the top 
top-down radar. It gave you a heads-up, something coming from behind generally, which was useful. Most of the stuff coming up in front of you, you just shot, and I didn't really have much of a problem with it. It just gets a bit hard as you get into like levels three and four. I don't know if it's got... I, I've never completed it. I've never got anywhere near level 10 because, you know, it is very difficult. The question I would ask you is, what was the difference between level three and level seven? I don't know because I never got to level seven. So I've no, I, so the answer I have no is idea. There is no difference. But the story states you, you're just patrolling your bit of yeah, land. and I get all that. But take the story <laughs> out because that's just dressing the crab. I know, I know. At the end of the day, this game presents you no more than it did at level six than it would have at level three. It's the same game. There might be different, slight different colours and a slight different colour scheme. The game does not change. It's Warhawk. Warhawk did the same, but Warhawk, got, Warhawk at least made it cheaper. I found I found myself a little bit annoyed with this. And I, don't get me wrong, the, the technical chops on display, as a first game, it's amazing. But I think it's just a... Well, yeah, but the first Thalamus big release. But there's something about Sanction that, for, for me, always felt a little bit wrong. And I could never quite put my finger on it till I replayed it this time. And this is probably going to come as an anathema to all the Sanction addicts out there. I'm not disputing that the fact that the Sanction soundtrack is brilliant and the fact that, you know, there's an even there's a really... I hesitate to use the term great version of it that was done on kind of synthesizers and keyboards that was on a zap tape, a zap cover tape. Oh, yeah, there was one. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put a link yeah. to it in the um, in the show notes because um, it is worth listening to. It's not great, but it is worth listening to. The truth of the matter is, for me, that this game is no different to Warhawk. The only difference is because it's Rob Hubbard's soundtrack, it's got decent graphics, it's got bass relief, it's got endless repetitive gameplay. The only difference is the direction of play and the fact that you get a slight radar view of the map. And for me, I mean, I, I played Sanction back in the day, but it was never one that held my attention that much. No. I don't know if I actually played this. In all, in, to be fair, a little bit to it, I think I may have played other shooters, side-scrolling shooters, before I got to Sanction. So I think I may have played Nemesis and a couple, maybe one other, but I think maybe Nemesis is the one I play because my memories of side-scrolling shoot-ups are being able to sort of power up and collect stuff and do those kind of things, which is absent here. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's more of Pick a sanction thing. Multiple so. and stuff like that. Yeah, and of course then Delta comes along and, you know, but then Delta had, you know, insane difficulty levels but we'll come to that well, later we'll down the line I, I i know i've got issues with delta we'll get to them when we come alongside delta <laughs> so i've got i've got things to say about delta but we'll get to that yeah okay well that sanction then it's a i, I think i like it a bit more than you but I, I i completely understand what you're saying it is a, a game of diminishing returns but i, I think and I, and I think you're right it's just you know feel like a a game that where the constituent parts don't quite gel yeah. correctly, and I think you're I think you're spot on there. I think you are right. And in the pantheon of side scrollers, it's probably not it's not the greatest, and it certainly gets bettered. It does. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But we've not had. To be fair, though, we haven't had I many. Know you said you you no iridium iridium aside, but iridium's kind of drop zone ish, and it's left and right shooty. You know, you can go either way and sort of patrolling is so it's more defender ish. We've not had. I'm trying to put my mind to this sort of thing. If we've actually had any traditional left-to-right side-scrolling shoot-em-ups at Other this point. Other than the kind of the scramble kind of clones, which were probably... I don't know if there's been any, but yeah, I don't think there's been a pure side-scrolling shooter till this. I think this is the first real attempt. Mm, I'm trying to put my mind on. I'm trying to think we'll back get up to all we'll the get stuff corrected we've played. By, we'll get corrected by you know the powers. Yeah, probably. But um, I mean, if the thing is, what I would say is, if there was one that had, that was any good we would have remembered. Yeah. I think that's that's the point, isn't it? There may be other little ones sort of thing that we've just, just wiped from our mind because they were pure dog egg. Yeah. But, um, but you know, whatever it is. Anyway, there you go. There's Sanction. That's our first review. Let's move on to our next one because it, it only goes up from here. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> if only it did. So, Graham, it's time to don your, your black uh, leotard again and <laughs> leggings and uh, mask. Um, get yourself a bit of a tan uh, as, a, as one of these, but not your face. Um, and tell us all about the thriller ride that is Ninja. So, Ninja is a budget game. In every way. <laughs> In every possible way. So it's a flick screen ninja themed fighting game. You control a ninja, obviously, the ninja of the title of the game. The idea of it is to infiltrate a palace, kind of room by room, fighting and killing guards as you go and finding idols. So as you find enough, if you find enough idols, you win the game. Along the way, you can pick up things to throw. So shuriken, stars, daggers, other ninja-y type things, you know, the usual ninja things. And periodically, you can sort of jump up and down between levels. I like, I hesitate to use the term jump, really, kind of float off <laughs> and fall, really. So that's the game. And that's what you presented with. The graphics are blocky. So it's quite chunky, blocky, quite basic graphics, really. It's another ninja game. So it's got obviously got ninja fighting moves if you can call them that. And it felt a bit like, it's a blocky monstrosity really, isn't it? It's like a crappy, Mm -hmm. but kind of faster version of Karateka-ish, without any of the trappings. Fighting Warrior-ish. Way of the Tiger-ish, because it's kind of ninjas involved. But it's got core issues. So core issue number one, it's dull as dishwater. And the combat is so (laughs) crap, it just is no point. Two, it doesn't feel like a fun game at all, in any aspect. Which means that three... You won't play it for long. So no. add to that. No, you won't. Now, I am a big fan of Rob Hubbard, but in this particular instance, I'm not sure what happened, but the score for... Is this a Hubbard tune? It's Rob Hang Hubbard, on. yeah. What? Oh, my God. Rob Hubbard is, did the Ninja tune, yeah. So it actually, I think I actually went to the kitchen and checked, and this had actually grated some cheese, this song, into a sandwich. <laughs> and, and actually, when I checked out the window, it had caused pigeons to attack each other. There was just dead pigeons everywhere from the... It was like, a, it's like a, um, one of those um, creatures from the Monster Club had whistled, um, you know, what we spoke about before, and just the pigeons had just exploded. It's just got this really like weird... Hume good. He got Hume good or whatever the hell they are. Yeah, um, what's he Shad called? Mocked. The Shadmock. He got Shadmocked. So <laughs> it's got this really awful ninja-esque soundtrack. So orally and visually, this is the equivalent of having to shit out a Duplo Lego brick. That's And that's painful, <laughs> let me tell you. So it's un- I thought this game was unpleasant. And I have to say, as a final kind of hurrah, as an interesting aside, as I was playing this game, I found myself lyrics for the music appearing in my mind. And those oh, were, um, so so this, the music goes, so where is the ninja? I can't see him anymore. Where is that ninja friend of mine? He is a ninja and I can't see him any. And that's how it went on. And, and and I found myself just drifting into a coma, really, doing that, <laughs> more than doing anything with this game. Now, I actually had this game, and I have a funny feeling I'd, I may have bought it, which isn't the first crazy ninja game I've bought on a whim, but... I remember... You did like your ninjas. I, I don't know why, really. You had a poster up of a ninja, didn't you? I did have a poster up of a ninja, yeah. I think I was just into that whole... I was quite into the way of the tiger stuff, so ninjas kind of appealed to me. Yeah. I wasn't into the, you know, buying a sword and, and costume and terrorising people. I had friends who did that. That wasn't my bag. Mm-hmm. But this was a monstrosity of a game. I want to say, was it a Mastertronic Mad or something it, to ent- do with that? I think it's Entertainment USA. Yeah, some weird budget release tile. It, so at least it was budget, but it got 25% in sap. It's more than it deserved because it's utter shit. 
And what is it with Ninja Games on the Commodore 64 being so crap? I know it gets better, you know, obviously. In 1987, it gets a lot better. Oh, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But it's certainly this one is a step in the wrong direction. You know, ninjas should not be that blocky. And the fighting was crap. Oh, well, anyway, I hated it. I hated every minute of it. And the music just sent me to another place where I started making weird lyrics. And that's never good. What about you? No. Well, I didn't make up any weird lyrics. It is an entertainment entertainment USA, which is from Mastertronic. Mm-hmm. So make of that what you will. So I'm not sure where this has come from or whatever the, the back Nasty chronic. Is, but who, who cares? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's awfulness. Ironically, I'd never played this. I thought you would. I'd heard a lot. No, I'd heard a lot of people mention it, but Ninja never crossed my path. Maybe it didn't. I never saw him. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what happened. But that does beg the question of this game, right? So yes, you described the game fine. I'm not going to go into. It. You walked through five screens. I killed everyone. I had no idea what to do next. Okay, but the problem with this game is it's ninjas in daylight. Yep. So the whole the whole outfit fails to be of any use when the sun is out you may as well not be a ninja so it begs the question why am i ninjaed out for this mm. and on the title screen and on that badly well on that loading screen <laughs> he's got his top he's got his top off and i was quite worried sort of thing because he's still got the mask on at the bottom so he's going to have horrible tan lines this ninja um he's going to have a really bad <laughs> just, you know and i felt a bit bad for him because he's going to get back and take this off sort of thing and they're going to know what he's done because he's going to have the ninja shaped head mask stuff tan lines so everyone's going to know it's him as the ninja when they go who's the ninja who attacked us and they'll look along everyone's got a tanned face apart from this guy who's just got the tan around his eyes it's not going to go it's not going to go down well for him at this point but you like you <laughs> like you and your lyrics <laughs> this is what this game did i was yes. rather thinking about my own story about this ninja being found out because of his lack of suntan yes exactly so you know i felt you know felt a bit bad for him really the, the game is awful it's painfully easy and, and just bad from every angle. I yeah. didn't know it was a Hubbard track. That shocks me. I put it's painfully easy and just bad from all angles, especially in front of it, having to play it. <laughs> I, I was just like, G- give me Ninja's day off any day of the week. I've come to borrow a cup of sugar. <laughs> this was crap. Do I you mean, have I a cup I, of sugar? I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about Ninja and I, I thought, oh, you know what? This might be a hidden treat. No, no, it's really not. No. It's, just, it's a bad thing. It's a bad game. I wonder why, you know, I, obviously I think you probably had this before, you know, we started hanging out together, but I'm, it, there's, a, there's probably a reason why you never said, oh, have a look at this aid, mm. <laughs> yeah, if you actually owned it. Pantaloons. None of the images on that loading screen are relevant to the game. Do you get a sword at any point in this game? I don't remember having a sword. There must be one, but I don't remember having it. I got killed by someone with a sword. He's yeah. not, is he got That one at the front's got a sword, hasn't he? But he just looks, he looks, he looks dead old as well, that one at the front. Well, what cracked me up is the background graphics in this game, because at one point it looks like you're on some kind of ninja tennis court where there's like a there's like a fence in the background and then you've got like like yeah. <laughs> pl- like playground lines being drawn and then there's like a there's the classic sort of I, I don't know what they I think they're a gateway actually I think they're like a Japanese type gateway but it looks like one that's been sunk in the ocean and then it's yes. just crap just crap crap crappy crappy crap, crap, crap look at that Look at that, um, the title, the, the image, the visual image, you know, the graphic for the title loading screen on the agenda. I'll put this up. I'll put this one when, when we actually put it out. Look at the one jumping at the back and look at the arm going upwards. That's bent all kinds of wrong. Oh, look at his bent and his fingers are kind of wangy. <laughs> yeah, something's happened. And the, the other guy's got a nunchuck, which you don't even get. And he's also doing that, the two finger height thing. So. <laughs> That's what I mean. But, but notice they've got the tops off, revealing tan lines. Tan lines. How, which will be <laughs> their downfall. Tan- downfall. Tan- or very hairy backs. I'm not sure which. Maybe both. <laughs> Absolutely. The underpeck shadow on the jumping one is very heavy as well. <laughs> and did you think, by the way, that when you were wandering around the ninja landscape, 
finding the idols. The, st- the shuriken Whatever stars were fine, but the other things looked like hypodermic needles that he was picking up. Yes, and also, did you notice as well that all you did is you actually sucked them up with the power of your ass cheeks? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Because you just knelt down, didn't you? Went <laughs> and just and I wanted that sound effect because I wanted to go <laughs> and then just they, they just they floated up and it's like oh so put the, it's just nin- ninja wind. Well, the game was that blocky. <laughs> I felt that the ninja was a Lego man. I mean, he was it was like it was borderline <laughs> Lego, really, wasn't it? If, no. Yeah, ninja suction. Yeah. Uh, that's a power I never knew that ninjas had. They could sit down and sort of suck up weapons <laughs> to be used, sort of pull out, pull out. That's where they get all those shurikens from, and they're going, they're just hoovering them up with their ass. And it's a good job that he can do that because he picks up plenty of stuff. It, it, absolutely. I don't know where he stores it all either. It'd be a, you know, Australian airports <laughs> would have a field day with him. <laughs> He's going to get cavity searched deep. <laughs> He really is, <laughs> especially, especially with those tan lines. They're gonna, they're gonna think he's been up to no good. Bloody crap is what it is. Let's not dress yeah. that crab anymore. It's just <laughs> crap. Oh uh, yeah, ninja, bad. Right, that's ninja. There we go. So what we've got next? Up next is another end game. We've got Nomad. Ugh. Nomad. And oh. once again, I have been left with stupid over- overkill of story. Oh, God, isn't it <laughs> just for this? Bloody hell. Oh, my Lord, Lord. All right, so no- what's Nomad? This is, I think it's an ocean game. It, got it is an ocean cent. game. It's, it's £9. Anyway, Cyrus T. Gross is the boss of a galactic underworld, don't you know? His voice is whispered in fear. Fear. He's yeah. subjugated everything. So the free worlds have sent in Nomad, bad, ac- uh, bad I- acronym coming up, Nemesis Organization Mobile Attack Droid. Oh, good Lord. <sighs> there you go. Do you know, I'm, I don't thank Isaac Asimov for his intervention <laughs> into the world of robotic sci-fi. He can bugger off. <laughs> he did that. He invented what? all that what? stuff. I know. Wasn't there a Pierce Brosnan film called Nomad around this time? I seem to remember there was about someone in his attic. Maybe. Um, Maybe. I, I, I digress. I digress. Anyway, you've got to, you are a nomad. You've got to go and kill the evil despot. So my first note is here, sort of thing, before I get to the horror of the game, was, hang on a minute, I recognise that death sound effect. That's Paradroid. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's just nicked. It's the same. I was like, that's Paradroid. What's going yep. on? So this game is problematic in how it plays. It's a flick screen shooter with a really confusing main sprite. Very and you confusing. never want a really confusing main sprite and control system because it controls tank style. So left and right rotate you 45 degrees in either direction and up and down move you forward or back the way you are facing. The problem is it's hard from the design of the main sprite to know which way you are facing. It is. And, and I found it really tricky because I don't know why they decided to actually imp- implement this control scheme. You bounce off walls and when you bounce off a wall it reverses you but you're still pressing the same direction and then you can bounce off another wall quickly because you're trying oh my god never na- navigating the, the the passageways in this game was one of the trickiest things mm-hmm. and also boring <laughs> yep and what i think happened here was that somewhere along the line they they could have had this control like paradroid there's no reason i mean they've nicked the sound effects you might as well nick the control system as well and it would have been fine you know moving left right up down diagonals just let me move like paradroid moves this would have made this game a thousand times better what it would have done though would have made you realize that there's absolutely nothing thing in this game there's the odd sprite to shoot the odd switch to flick and it's just really really boring and dull there's nothing to do barely and so that's what that's what i found so i found the controls my thought was that the controls had been implemented to negate the lack of content I agree. Because we'll, we'll annoy you with the controls so that you don't actually notice. You'll get so annoyed with them and just trying to line yourself up to shoot something or line yourself up to knock a switch and bouncing off the wall when you go to get in a switch. Because obviously it's all digital and then you flick the switch off and on as you go through it twice. Mm. 
because you bounce off a wall. This was, again, I I, I have vague, vague memories of trying this many, many years ago and not liking it. And I thought, you know what, maybe maybe I was wrong. It looks quite nice on the screenshots. The graphics look a bit colourful. And in that, they looked a bit like that uh, when we played Equinox a little bit, I thought. from It looked similar. It looked from the screenshots similar Similar, to Equinox. Similar. But played nothing like it and was dreadful in comparison. So I really didn't like this at all because of the control system and the fact that it was in there just to hide. They thought, oh, this is going to be clever, but it wasn't. It was just to hide the lack of content. No, not for me. Not for me. Nomad, no. What about you? I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. Good. But I hated it originally. Um, I actually rented this, I think, from J&M Software in Grimsby back in the day, thinking it might be something. I think it, because it was Ocean, and Ocean lent a bit of credibility to stuff back in this time. And I found it on replay exactly the same as I found it originally. Confusing sprite animations. Do you know what? Just rotate the sprite properly. Rotate the sprite. Rotate it. Don't add weird transitional animations to its angles because it made it look all weird it went all kind of blocky and bigger and it was weird it yep. went, i was like Ugh, what's going on so i've got to rotate this badly drawn sprite around in a sort of inertia based floaty control system that didn't make a lot of sense the front and the back of whatever the hell nomad was it looked a bit like number five i think the robot from short circuit yeah the title screen was all right with the uh the shot of it shooting stuff and that yeah, was quite that's, nice that was, it, ocean, that, right. that was ocean seller wasn't it that's how they sold games they sold it in the loading screen yeah. good game crap v did that oh maybe it didn't um, yeah true so the game itself was just floating ish around a boring maze clicking on switches and periodically shooting some of the scenery and boring i hated it it was horrible i ate it back in the day and i still ate it it was a mishmash of bad controls badly conceived sprites and dull as dishwater gameplay another one just go away with these boring boring games at least it had the well it's fred gray music in this one so I thought the music in game was crap, and I didn't like it. So um, I'm not. I'm no disrespect no. to Fred Gray because he's a he's a talented guy. And he's no, a, I, did, I didn't like book. the music either. But the music's crapola, and the game felt yep. like it was just. I don't know quite how you describe No Man. It's a floaty maze based piece of rubbish. Cybernoid comes along later down the line, and Cybernoid too, and do this kind of robot round the maze thing. I mean, are that have we not had enough games? Yet, where you just control a spuriously named robot on a quest to find shit in a thing. Now, there's so many of these games at the moment. It's just like, why don't they just call it that? You know, just crappy the robot on a quest for bullshit. <laughs> well, that's like I said, it, it reminded me of that Equinox. Yeah, totally. But whereas Equinox, but was where Equinox had, you know, you could sense something with Equinox. It was a step along. This just was like a, you know, a, a scraping well, of you someone's know what? boot. I'm drawn back to the Atari 2600 version of Tank. At yeah. least that was an honest game. You drive around with a single sprite in a maze, which is exactly what this was. A single sprite floating around in a maze with varying enemies of some description. Yes, there's inertia and graphics have kind of upped the ante a little bit, but the central conceit is the same. But at least Tank was crap and honest about it and very innovative for whatever it was, mm. 1980. Well, I would, this I would say this is rubbish. more like... Um, it had tank, those tank controls, but there's also like not much better than, uh, you know, uh, Adventure, yeah. the original Adventure on the it's Atari 2600. Just, you know what? Do not come to my house and take a dump in my bath. And that is exactly what this game did. And I've got to wash that out now and disinfect the bath and do all sorts of stuff. And that's because <laughs> of Nomad. You dirty little nomader, get lost. Get Get lost, no, no mad. No, bad. Yeah, no <laughs> bad. Yeah, no, bad, yeah. We'll, you'll get mad if you buy this, if, you, if you'd have bought <laughs> you and played would. it. Even downloading it on an emulator now and playing it again, you're going to get crazy, crazy about it because as soon as you start to try and rotate yeah. that sprite and start going backwards instead oh. of forwards,
forwards and start, and, and then when you try and do a switch and you suddenly push forward and you go backwards, you're like, this is the stupidest control system ever invented on the crappiest sprite ever. So no, not for me. Get lost, piece of crap. Yep, there we go. We don't like Nomad and with no. good cause. Let's move on. Yes, Mad. To our, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go away. Uh, to our last game of this first section. Graham, delight us with your tales from the Jeep Command. I Moon Buggy clone this. So, or Moon Patrol, yeah. Sorry, Moon Patrol, Moon, Moon, Moon Buggy. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. So side-scrolling vehicle that has to periodically jump over the craters and pits and the things that get in the way in order to do the thing. So in this instance, you're a Jeep, sort of a military-style Jeep contro- across a landscape, and you've got to jump and avoid the craters and the hazards and shoot the flying enemies. And it's all about a little bit of timing and a bit of luck. And it's really, really, really annoying, especially with the bombs that like land and then shoot really fast at you because it's just annoying. Oh, God, didn't they? Yeah. It's stupid and annoying. It's like a nuclear blast wave out yeah, going from them. So the graphics are basic, but reasonably rendered okay they're not terrible they're not like they're not like they've gone for multicolor sprites and they've gone for multicolor graphics so it's got a bit of depth to it but it's quite nice it isn't sort of single mm-hmm. color one color sprites on a background which they which historically these games probably would have looked like so it has a quite a nice look to it the controls are okay it controls like the moon patrol moon boogie like you'd expect so joystick controls the jump and you've got to time those right for two quid i didn't think this was a bad version of that the music's really weird, generally. Yeah. In this. It's kind of <laughs> yeah, odd. It but, and the whole thing just lacked the full price game polish, but it wasn't full price. It was one ninety nine, And so as much as it lacks the polish and the music is a bit weird and the graphics are quite good, but the gameplay is very simplistic, it's two quid. And would so my does it pass my rainy afternoon test? Which is um, stick this on and would it have passed a rainy rainy afternoon? Yeah, it would. So I quite liked it for that. It was one ninety nines worth of game, and I got one ninety nines worth of, of fun out of it. So eighty two percent is kind of an interesting score for it, but it means it scored higher than Rambo and Commando and some others as well. But you know what? It's one ninety nine, and I'm and I'm starting to shift a little bit with my ratings for these things because I'm trying to think a little bit like like that Sunday afternoon logic or rainy afternoon logic. Thinking, you know what? One ninety nine isn't much to ask for a game. What you what are you going to get for one ninety nine? And what you get here is kind of a playable game, familiar controls, quite quickly to get into, and the graphics are reasonable. So I thought it was all right. It's certainly the best of the budget games that we've come up so far here in this episode. So it's and since that's well, the it's only up against Ninja exactly. So and you know what? It's it's one ninety nine worth of Moon Patrol Moon Buggy. So I I thought it was all right. What about you? I'm pretty much on the same page, really. I put what because I'd, I'd never played it. I was unaware of it. No, I hadn't played um, it. I put it's a, it's a strange little game. It's a Moon Patrol variant, bouncing a jeep along, and you leap over bushes and twigs. You avoid holes. You're shooting bombs. And what looked like it because not just bombs, is it? You got to shoot killer leaves. Um, I, I want to yeah. show that the Moon Buggy, the the buggy you're in, sort of thing is very very you know does not it's got not got much uh what's the what's the word i'm looking for it's not got much structural integrity should we say no i put yeah i put like you the graphics are pretty bare bones the music's okay and you know it's just this is all right for a couple of quid i'd have got probably a decent amount of enjoyment out of this i wouldn't i wouldn't hate i didn't hate it and i found it quite endearing 
There was something weirdly endearing about it, is the word I would kind of use here. It yeah. was strange. It's a known, and I think the reason for that sort of for this is it's a non no nonsense old style arcade variant. It is what it is. It straps some different sprites on Moon Patrol, but that's what it is. And there's a reason, and, I, and I've noted here, there's a reason why Moon Patrol is remembered. I think, and it's because it, the core game loop is always enjoyable in Moon Patrol, and this mm-hmm. is just more of that. So you know, Moon Patrol in and of itself, what is it? Moon Patrol was what is it? 90, 81, 82? Yeah, yeah, it's early. quite old, isn't it? it was, it's early, you know, it's early eighties, but it was always a fun game to play in the arcade. It was always, you know, it was hard. You know, you get a bit frustrated with it but it was always something you'd go back to i found myself with moon yep. patrol and so you put moon patrol in front of me for two quid that looks like and i'd be like you know what i like moon patrol i'm gonna play this and i would and i did and i had a good time with this and and i think you bang on with this sort of the rainy afternoon rainy sunday afternoon mm. you put this on for half hour an hour or something like that and you'd probably be quite quite satisfied with your yeah. time you know compared with something like ninja or something like that for yeah. and compared with no nomad for like ah. nearly five to five four and a half times the price no 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 this, this is this was all right yeah 82 percent's interesting but i could see why because this is an enjoyable two quid yeah what you're gonna do, you gonna do? um so yeah um i quite like duke command it was all right, it's all right. Uh, strangely enough weird i'd never heard of it but and i'd never played it but i, I hadn't I come across it before it. but it was all right yeah there we go. So that's our games for this section. We've got, we've just had Jeep Command, we've had Nomad, we've had Ninja, and we had Sanction. Mm, so four games there. So that's it for this section. We're going to be back in a moment where we'll be back with looking at what was going on in TV and film in November 1986. So please stay with us. <laughs> To our sponsor davidhernwriter.com where you'll find stories influenced by classic games from the Commodore 64 and Amiga. His next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, is coming soon. Sarah doesn't have a clue how to beat games for real. Imagine trying to escape from Targ if you'd never played Mercenary before. However, she meets Nell, who has been trapped for ages, possibly going from Dizzo to Lave. Anyway, together they try and find their way to freedom. Strap yourself in. It'll be more fun than you can have in a Dominion dart. Visit davidhernwriter.com. That's David, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com to find out more. All right, welcome back. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to film and TV in November 1986. Let's crack into this quickly before the Hovitas get us again. 2nd of November, to mark the 50th anniversary of the start of television broadcasting, broadcast TV 50, or whatever that means, in which BBT2's entire evening output for the next week is used to show programmes from the BBC's archives. Good Lord. <laughs> How lucky we were. <laughs> How lucky. As I've noted here, the BBC didn't even broadcast fully till the late no, 80s. So in the 50s, there must have been about two or three programmes a week. Yeah, and, and three, three and four, four of them were uh, muffing the mule exactly. or something. So what was, what was the great content that was put on the 50th anniversary? And now on BBC, it's the test card, only this time it's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Seven hours. It would, it would have just been quite a mass on repeat. Well, quite a mass came out in the 70s, so I don't... I don't know. Yeah, but it's from the last 50 years, isn't it? Oh, was it the last 50 years? I thought it was from just from the 1950s. That's why I thought... No, I don't... Well, I don't know. It, says, it just says used to 
to show programmes from the BBC's archives. Right. I don't think it means just from the 50s. Right. Well, it would, <laughs> wouldn't it defeat the purpose of it being... T- oh, I suppose it could be a retrospective of the last 50 years. Okay, that makes a bit more sense than my idea, which was just... Uh, <laughs> BBC programs from 1950. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I wrote. How dull it must have been. Because did they make a lot of decent TV shows in the fifties? I'm pretty I mean, sure they didn't. To but. be fair, it can do because it's broadcast TV fifty. But I think it's just fifty years of telly. Um, the best of fifty which, years of telly. Let's face it. There's certain parts of the BBC's output in that time they wouldn't want to rebroadcast, would they? So well, no. And some of it were lost, aren't they? Like early Doctor Who. Well, and they things. found a lot of those now. Um, if you go on BritBox, some of the some of those episodes have been discovered. I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who actually, just as an aside, since we're on the <sighs> last fifty years of the BBC and. <laughs> Some of the okay. some of the early episodes are actually pretty good, I have to say. Some of those early Doctor Who's are, are genuinely they get actually the weird thing is they start off without they don't really rely on the special effects at all. It's all about the kind of story and the characters. That's it. Because obviously there isn't a lot of special effects and, and in the fifties and six well, sixties and seventies there wasn't a great deal of ideas around that. So some of the stories no. and the ideas in them are genuinely quite brilliant. I think if you judge Doctor Who by the modern Doctor Who, and don't get me wrong, there's some good episodes of that. If you really like the stories, some of the stories, the ones that really resonate later down the line with the Matt Smith and the David, David Tennant. Tennant, the ones that resonate, you know, Blink and some of those other episodes, just go back in the Doctor Who archives and there's some really good, creepy stories that just don't have the effects to pull it off. But So it is kind of an old guy talking through it a bit like a bit they're a bit like visual radio plays some of the early doctor who's but i've been enjoying some of them so you know they are what they are they get crapper as they progress the more they try and put special effects in the less good they get and then they're relying heavily then on the actual it's character. not the special effects it's not the special effects that made them crap it was john pertwee's kung fu yeah there's actually a proper name for that kind of crap martial art that, that john pertwee does i think I've been watching a lot of the very early ones, so the William Hartnell Doctor Who's, and he's, as much as it genuinely okay. looks like he's suffering from early onset dementia through most of those episodes, which he probably was, some of those are really good. And it conveys the idea of a kind of lonely guy better than later. It's only really Tom Baker that really brings the real character and the art of Doctor Who to Doctor Who. But by then they're trying to... I'll tell you what, actually, it's two things. They're trying to dress it up with bad special effects. All right, they are what they are. However, let's just have a little bit of a applaud, a mini applaud for the BBC Radiophonic Workshop because the soundtracks in those early Doctor Who's from the late 70s, early 80s are amazing. They're brilliant. Really pioneering early synthesizer stuff. A lot of their synthesizer stuff predates Kraftwerk. And it's a woman, I forget the name of the lady now, genuinely innovative, amazing sounds that she's creating in really complex ways. And the soundtracks for them are genuinely cool. So now watch um, some of the classic Doctor Who's, Keeper of Traken and stuff like that. Just watch some of those 70... Well, actually, I suppose they're very early... Late 70s, early 80s Doctor Who's with Tom Baker. Just check out the soundtracks more than the the content because some of those, the Horns of Naimon and stuff like that, the soundtracks are amazing to them. They sound very Lovecraft-inspired. I think that there's definitely that to them because it's monsters from the id, you know, monsters from and also monsters from the ether and, you know, non-recognisable mm. things. There's, there's a lot of stuff and mileage in that. I think without going into a long diatribe about Doctor Who. We've been going into. (laughs) But I think just as a final note, (laughs) I think my take on Doctor Who, the whole problem with Doctor Who is that Doctor Who became and has and and remains so about the Cybermen and the Daleks 
and there are so many more amazing stories in Doctor Who. They're a, they're much a, very much a sideline thing that comes back now and again. There's amazing stories around that, and some of them are way better. I would genuinely challenge anyone to watch The Keeper of Traken, which is the Tom Baker episode from season 18, 19, I think. Watch the four episodes of that, because remember, Doctor Who was different then. So you would have mm, a season of yeah, Doctor Who... And it would have conjoined episodes. So there'd be four episodes of one, and then it would go to four episodes of another sort of part. And it would all actually be still part of the big universe that still link it together. So it wouldn't just be like like it does now. It's different to how it does it now. But watch The Keeper of Traken. Watch the it's a Tom Baker episode. It's got uh, the master in it. Uh, the master's in a different kind of TARDIS, a TARDIS that actually works. So you kind of get the idea of why what a TARDIS actually is as opposed to a police box because that's not how a TARDIS works. And you start to sort of see, and that episode's genuinely quite scary and creepy in its own way. And the story is completely different to anything else. It's, it's really, really good. So I would recommend it. I would recommend, just, just right. even if you know, give just watch, watch that. Suspend your disbelief a little for the effects. I will do, don't worry. So, because I always like the, um, you know, the, I'm never a big Sidemen fan, the Daleks have me, it was always the more interesting one. So, Blink was good, but my favourite of the more recent Doctor Who ones was the one, the, uh, what was it? The Satan in the Pit, the mm. Devil in the Pit one. Oh, Marv. Where there's the, 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 the impossible, impossible asteroid or whatever it's called, the impossible moon yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. It's that one that's, it's a planet stuck on the edge of a black hole that shouldn't be there, and then they find the devil at the bottom of it. And yeah. that was really good. Because it's, you know, that's weird. And when Doctor Who does weird, it's kind of a much better thing. It is. I mean, it's always been a TV show that's has been as good as its writers, which is why the last yeah. the last season with Jodie Whittaker. I never watched it, so I didn't. I, I, I tuned out. I think I tuned out when Peter Capaldi well, came in. Actually, in all fairness to both of those people who are playing the Doctor, they struggled with the material that was written for them, which in a way Matt Smith and and previous Doctors to that never really did. They really struggled because some of the writing for it was amazing. David Tennant had some great writing and some great stories. And later down the line, it just became more, it was about the Daleks or it was about the Cybermen. Or, you know, that those are the Doctor Who's big enemies and branding and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, there's been other enemies in there. The Master being one of the key ones, which when Missy, the, when they invented the reincarnation of the, the woman that was took over the Master role, genuinely brilliant, really played it well. The most recent version, not as good. Yeah. Anyway, I've gone on about Doctor Who far too much. Just, you know, watch, <laughs> just as just as a favour to me. This section, this mention wasn't even about Doctor uh, well, Who either. But it's doc, it, well, it's BBC <laughs> through the 50s and, and yeah, from okay, the 50s. Okay. But just go and watch The Keeper of Traken. Go and watch that and then tell me that you don't like Doctor Who and you think it's all about Daleks and Sidemen because that's, it, honestly, even now it's a brilliant four-part it's ace okay to be fair i watched the twins of evil on your recommendation so um <laughs> that's a great film <laughs> uh, there you go listeners there you go you have it <laughs> you have it <laughs> this is what i get watch this it's brilliant it's uh, hilarious it's not brilliant it's just hilarious <laughs> it is yeah count what's his fame was crap <laughs> count what was his name count count Kronos oh, or no, it's Krolok not, or no it's not Krolok Krem, or Kronos. Kremlin it's, not, it's none of those I, I can't remember his name what is <laughs> I know. that he's going to begin with a K Kahnstein I think That's, it is Kahnstein I don't begin with a K yeah yeah um, it's, it's that one with the, where he's got the uh, the guy that is his is helper yeah the, the mute helper <laughs> <Yeah>. yes stakes <laughs> we are escaping not you <laughs> yeah not you though you stay behind <laughs> and, and die for us they've got stakes <laughs> <laughs> Steaks, you say? Oh my god! <laughs> Quick run! <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible film. Oh, dear. oh, anyway, that was that could have been on in the fifties. I don't know. Who knows? Fifteenth of November. Let's move. Let's move along. British television premiere of Michael Crichton's science fiction crime drama Looker on BBC One. I, I, I've, I've had a look at this. <laughs> hey. I, I've never seen it. 
never even heard of it. It's not it's not a Michael Crichton one that's ever crossed my radar. Are you aware of it? You'd seen um, it? I had I remembered it briefly, but I couldn't remember a lot about it. I just remember it being basically like Future World. Yeah, I mean, it's got some early CG and stuff, isn't it? Hasn't it? it does, it actually. A, yeah, a very early. Up, so yeah. Michael Crichton was always a pioneer, I guess, for mm. vision, you know, vision, special effects The guy wrote and directed Westworld, and for me, hats off to him for that. Because Westworld's yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah. Westworld's like, a brilliant gave film. Ju- gave us Jurassic Park, didn't he? Let's face it. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, know. Which, which is Westworld with dinosaurs. <laughs> he's, totally got pen- he's got a penchant for put for putting robots in and things he shouldn't do in parks. <laughs> I wonder what else he'd put in a park. Jeff Capes. The TV series, the recent TV series of Westworld is all well and good. But you now they took a pudding and they put so many eggs in that pudding that it's almost beyond... It's not really a pudding anymore, it's just eggs. It has risen, that that uh, show, hasn't it? It has, it has just, risen to fill the oven. Yeah, and it's just there's just so much going on. And, and, and I actually kind of tuned out of it. Whereas the Westworld movie is actually just a kind of a nice approachable guy goes to theme park theme park is full of robots <laughs> robots go ape shit has to try and outrun one of the robots in a very terminator-esque sequence what's wrong that's great stick to that kind of logic i just don't i think the tv series just kind of stretched the logic beyond belief so but either way anyway there we go so michael Crichton giving us some early special effects yeah. with a something or other oh i've lost my thing right 23rd of november though to celebrate what was this 20 1960s this is 23 years later weird thing channel 4 airs the speculative film the trial of lee harvey oswald mm, conspiracy now if, I, if this had have happened a few years later i would have been all over this i became really obsessed with jfk you did in totally the early 90s. Got, you went mad with it i did i read all the books i read loads of books on it conspiracy the plot to kill kennedy the jim garrison book i waded there was these are you know weighty tomes that i waited at which through. point did you realize it was complete bullshit <laughs> I haven't. I still think it was all. I still thought, I don't think Lee Oswald shot him. <laughs> I've never come out. I've never come out from underneath my tinfoil hat on JFK. Oh, so if you haven't watched any of the recent documentaries on the whole thing, and I haven't disagreed with them. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And no. You were enjoying your drink on the flat Earth in your. You, you hate ball <laughs> drinks. <laughs> I do. I love those. No, it's um. Yeah, I became really obsessed with JFK in the early nineties. I think it was on the back of the film because the film's incredible. But but when you start researching around the film, you realise there's some issues with this film that are not quite as truthful as you might think they are, Mister Stone, mm. and problems like that. But I would have loved this at the time. I, I don't remember seeing it at the time, and uh, but I think it's quite interesting that you do this because um, obviously 23rd November was the anniversary, wasn't it? He's shot on the 23rd, I think. 22nd, 23rd. Yeah, something like that. So, you know, obviously Harvey Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald never went to trial because he was shot by Jack Ruby coming out. First rule loud. of assassination, kill the assassin. Kill the assassin, yeah. You know, it goes back to uh, it Hamlet um, uh, with Gildenstern and Lichtenstein, yes. whatever. No, that's a, that's <laughs> a place, Lichtenstein. <laughs> Rosencrantz and Gildenstein. <laughs> that's them. <laughs> Gildenstern Lichtenstein. and Lichtenstein. <laughs> Luxembourg and oh, Lichtenstein. Oh, that's right. It was Frankenstein and who was it? <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> I don't remember them in Othello. What Othello? It was Hamlet. <laughs> oh God. Oh God. No. It was a Shakespeare play. That's all I know. There was a there was a couple of people that had families that didn't get on, and then they had to kill the assassins who like loved each other. I might be misremembering these plays. I'm not sure. Right. That's it. That was TV. There wasn't much going on. We had a week of TV from the fifty you know, from the fifties, and that was it. Boring month. Boring. Yeah. Films. However, there was stuff going on with films. So on the sixth of November. There was a film called Lamb. Lamb. Hmm. Lamb was a it's a Liam Neeson film about uh, a, a priest 
a boy, a sort of troubled boy who comes into his care and they run away and make bad choices according to the writer. I've never seen it, so I don't know what those bad choices are. Sounds Maybe horrific. They, I don't know. Who knows what it is? But you know, it's a priest. So you, <laughs> if know, you got probably... my lamb. I will find you. <laughs> I will kill you, and I will cover that lamb in mint sauce and eat it. I have a particular set of skills that I will find oh, that's you. That's right, you forgot he uh, says that. I always think those skills are patisserie, sweet meat. You know, absolutely. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, assassination and murder and that, does it? It could be that I can avoid Lego on the floor. Uh, I can I can step through Lego like it won't even there. I have a particular set of me. skills. Those skills aren't relevant to anything we're talking about, but I have them. That's all you need to know. I fit, I, I'm a good plumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah as an electrician i can rewire a plug and that could be dangerous for you <laughs> if you've been if you've been taken early and you you know you got taken and you're like oh i really need the loo <laughs> you got t- taken a bit wrong uh, <laughs> taken's a crazy film as well i haven't I've watched lamb i have to say the early liam neeson films are really weird you know he's in remember he's in krull let's yeah. not forget that he's in krull everyone just don't you know don't write him off he's in krull so is Robbie Coltrane as well. Oh, don't make me look at you. <laughs> <laughs> but he is. No, don't. He, ah, he, ah, he's don't. in there. <laughs> he is. I know he is. So is Bernard Bretzler with one eye, making those, making that terrible if deal with the devil. Six steps to Kevin Bacon. Liam Neeson's one of the golden people to have in the kind of because he's been in so much weird crap that he's bound to be connected to Kevin Bacon in some way. So you can always connect to Liam uh, Neeson with that. Yeah, probably. I mean, you could probably do it in like one step. I'm sure they're maybe in a film together at some point. It must maybe be. Maybe Kevin Bacon played one of the wolves in Grey. <laughs> I've got, I forgot he was in Grey. That's actually a good film well, as well. It is, yeah. Yeah. Although that that end shot is really weird where he's just sat there with the wolf. Yes, it's not. Not to spoil it for you all, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's, an old, it's not that old, but yeah, it's all right. Great, the great. I remember that he's also in Excalibur as well. He is in Excalibur. Yeah, God, God. Yeah, there you go. He is. But yeah, he's in uh, quite a few. He's in like he made like just a non. Well, he did non-stop, unknown. Um, all these oh, weird action no. films he that he just made. became an action hero somehow. What was that? What was that? Boring walk through the tombstones. That's what it's called, isn't it? To walk through the tombstones or something like that. Yeah, yeah but it's just I don't think it's like the boring bit at the beginning. It probably has. Um, and there was that other one, run, run all, run all night. <laughs> run through the tombstones. Is the... Run through. The... <laughs> run through <laughs> the graveyard. Tiptoe, <laughs> tiptoe through the tombstones. <laughs> that was its original title, but they wanted to uh, toughen it up. Liam Neeson so, uh, is angry <laughs> about something. <laughs> Does that? Did you watch that recent one, which is on uh, Amazon, where he's um, it's, it's called a Good Thief or something? Uh, vaguely recall it. He, he, he's uh, it's really it's cheap. It's so cheaply made. He basically he's a he's a bank robber that through the ages that they've never been able to catch, and he gives himself up for this woman. But then he tells he was like a classic bank robber, and he tells these two cops who then for no reason become like bad cops. Uh-oh. And then go to kill the the main guy off and try and steal the money that he's trying to give back. It's a terrible, terrible film. Sounds crap. Don't watch that. It was crap. It was really bad. It was really weird as well. It had a terrible, terribly weird tone. But Liam Neeson, he was also, and don't forget as well, I mean, if you're going to go with it, he's in um, Phantom Menace. Oh, God, he is, isn't he? He's quite gone. It's quite, it's quite gone boring. <laughs> it's quite gone. <laughs> quite, gone, quite gone wrong. Quite gone wrong, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> poisonous gas quick gas masks <laughs> that's him they smell that's... poisonous gas before they see it it's just all kind of wrong in it 
<laughs> how do you know? How do you know it's poison gas? Because you're dead. Yeah. Well, it, that's it's just stupid, isn't it? Put it in the tea. Put your poison in the tea because they just drink that. They don't even question it. Put it in the tea. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was uh, lamb. Oh, so that was lamb. That was out on the sixth November. The big, uh, a big one though. Eight days later, big for us anyway. And big by name, Big Trouble in Little China, 14th of November. Yes, this is in the good period of John Carpenter. Yes, good old Jack Burton and the Pork Chop Express. Yeah, it's a classic. Well, it's an interesting film, Big Trouble in Little China, in lots and lots of ways. Just because it's a John Carpenter. John Carpenter's a director that is really eclectic. Everyone, you know, positions him as the horror guy. But the guy's made, you know, he's made films that, uh, you know, from Elvis... To Big Trouble Little China, there's a lot of leeway and distance in there. And Starman. Starman, yeah. So there's some great John Carpenter films. There's some absolute crap. Oh, anything anything post, pretty much anything post In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, yeah, I would put Escape from Maybe. LA in that dump wagon. Yeah, that's, that's post that's post Mouth of Madness. Yeah, I thought it was before that's that, after but that. either way, that's in the same thing. Yeah, I don't really forgive him for Ghosts of Mars because that film's so crap. No one, no, no one should. I've never watched a film with so many people having flashbacks. In, in fact, I actually had, almost had a seizure watching Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> there's actually a flashback because there's so many crossfades in that film. It's bizarre. It's like people just crossfade all the time and then flashbacks within flashbacks. Within. Ah. Surely the worst film for flashbacks, though, was The Hills Have Eyes 2, the original one, where the dog has a flashback. Yeah, it's stupid. But do you remember in Ghosts of Mars, there's a flashback to a sequence that happened a minute before. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of um, that reminds me of uh, that crap Leslie Nielsen film <laughs> Spy Hard, yes, where rubbish. the guy walks into the bar and go, "We go back so far," and it's just him walking, walking into in. the bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Big Trouble Little China, Jack Burton taking on the the crazy world of the Three Storms and Lopan, mm-hmm. and you know, and a, sort of a kidnap story wraps in. It's just a great bundle of fun, really funny. Kurt Russell on form, great cast, great action. Everything about it is great. Um, it just didn't really connect with the audiences, which is a real curse of John Again. Carpenter movies. Yep. It's a film that became appreciated much later, isn't it? Yeah, and John Carpenter has a way of being able to frame... The guy can make a film and he can frame a shot. There's, there's just, you know, the guy knows how to make films in real big wide screen and really take advantage of the full width of the yeah, screen he does. so some of the filmmaking and everything is brilliant and this isn't wrote john carpenter by the numbers it's got a john carpenter soundtrack again it's all good it just you know there was a series of films during is this night classes i suppose it's classes 80s isn't it so late 80s early 90s yeah, it's 86 so, that's why we're talking about but, it in yeah, November, what i mean right, but i mean it's like um, <laughs> i'm trying to think when some of the other carpenter films around this time were all quite good and then it just goes downhill in a kind of crazy way so well, I think if you if you track his, I mean, if you even if you go from like off the top of my head, if you go from even Dark Star, so you go Dark Star's good, Dark Star the first one, and Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Prince of Darkness, Big Trouble, Starman, Elvis, In the Mouth of Madness, yeah, they Eyes live. of Laura Mars. Did you do Eyes of he Laura? He did Mars? Eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he did that. Anyway, if you put all that lot together, that's quite a bundle of film. It is, but let's, you know, let's, if you think about it, so, because you've got Assault and Precinct 13 in there as well. Oh, Assault and Precinct 13, yeah, I forgot so, that, that's again So, Assault and Precinct 13, great, Escape from New York, good, but a bit weak towards the end, still good. But you've got things like Prince of Darkness, which isn't 
it's okay, but it's not great. It's, it's not great. It's not great. It's I okay, but it's it suffers from the longest intro sequence of all time. It's like the opening credits for that go on for like twenty minutes. It's like Cap- <laughs> Carpenter films always do though. Cap- Carpenter films don't. Nothing happens in most of them for the first well, twenty like minutes. The fact that nothing happens. It's the fact that it's still the opening credits are still happening twenty minutes into the film. It's like yeah, love it. Love they it. Live is in there, of course. You've got. So yeah. there's some really good stuff in there, but there are some weaker links. Uh, I'm not, a, I've actually kind of tuned out a bit of Halloween. Um, it's all right, I suppose, but, you know. I think watching Halloween now is, you know, it's it's like what you said earlier on, playing Sanction. It's a, it's a it, you know, it's a film. I'm not saying that same sort of thing, but it's, I think you can't underestimate the importance of Halloween. No, and no, the fact, we no, said no, this not before, that, we talked about the, dull. I think we mentioned a Friday the 13th film ages ago, and it's like all the, all the imitators imitated the wrong one. Well, maybe, <laughs> but you know what? Halloween is not a slasher movie. Um, no, it's and not. Yet it's, it, but it's put in the same category of slasher movie, but it's not a slasher movie. And no, so, it's more in common with something like so, Psycho. So did films imitate the wrong one or the right one? I don't know. Do I prefer the Halloween sequels or do I like the Freddy and the Jason? I don't know. I don't like Jason movies that much. But Halloween was never my favourite Carpenter film. I quite liked... What is your... Fa- I was going to ask you, actually. What is your... If you had to pick one, if I had to put you thing. on the spot, which I'm doing right now, The Thing. The Thing by a mile yeah, is, is, is most accomplished and best film. Without a doubt, it's The Thing. And probably next to that, I actually quite like Big Trouble in Little China for what it is. Um, I don't like his TV movies, the Elvises and the, and I don't like the, you know, the other stuff like that, the Eyes of Laura Miles and stuff like that. Escape from New York is quite good. I like Snake Plissken as a character, but it is just Clint Eastwood. But I do like Snake Plissken as a character. And there are some amazing John Carpenter movies out there. Um, and some, but it's just his later ones aren't very good at all. No, no, they're not. I don't, I don't, I mean, I get the love because. The Inner Mathematics is the most Lovecraftian film ever made that doesn't say it's actually Lovecraftian at all. So mm-hmm. it's, it is Absolutely. all Lovecraft. And, and in that respect, it's probably one of the best versions of that. It's not a particularly coherent, great film in its longevity. Um, the Fog is a really good film. The Fog's my, the fog's my close second to the thing. But the trouble with The Fog is it loses its way and it gets, you know, up up. it's scary up to a point, but it repeats its scares. It, John Carpenter tends to do that a little bit. And he's, he suffers from third act problems in almost every film he's in. So in uh, Escape from New York, you know, that someone gets defeated by a, a boot full of steam from a car. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so it goes on. And there's films where towards the final act or the second or final act, the plot of the film just becomes a little bit lost and the action isn't really there. And it, you know, Escape from New York becomes quite an interesting chase movie. But the premise for Escape from New York is so good and the world so engineered and believable that it just it just doesn't feel like it lives up to the premise that it sets. But that said, the thing is, well, the thing is exceptional. Without, without Escape from Escape from New York, we won't have the metal, we won't have Metal Gear Solid. No, no, totally. You know, Solid Snake and Snake Plissken are mutual bedfellows, without a doubt. Yeah, and yeah. you can't forget really certain characters. You know. Um, John Carpenter uses the same actors generally across a lot of films. So it's the same people. Book Flower, for example, plays, you know, the drunk in at least three or four of his movies. Mm-hmm. I like The Fog and it's because The Fog has got a genuinely kind of scary vibe and it is quite creepy. And I like Halloween to an extent, but I can't stand Donald Pleasant's character in it because he just hangs around doing nothing really a lot. But there are films that just, when he's really flexing his muscles a bit, The Thing, Big Trouble... Salt Precinct 13 isn't a bad old movie, but that it's kind of a Western remake. I always feel like John Carpenter wanted to make a Western and never did. 
and because some of his soundtracks sound a bit like that and some of the thematics of his films but he just never made one which is odd because I think he probably always wanted to later down the line I think some of them Prince of Darkness is just wrapped in such a convoluted story that's what I love about it it just becomes disjointed and and I think the problem there is you've got bad actors the acting performances are generally quite poor with the exception of some of the ghouls and some of the so some nice touches here and there the leading man is a bit is a bit of a poor man's Tom Atkins it's just the whole thing is just a little bit weak and you don't feel for characters that you don't really know and this just I don't know just issues Donald Pleasance is in there again to provide that kind of creepy it's (laughs) in the world in the trees kind of you know creepy vibe Um, I don't know I don't know the thing is definitely my favourite Carpenter movie so far the ward was quite interesting his more recent ones and it's the only one of his oh Christine as well Christine I'm not a big fan of but it's beautifully it's shot. Not brilliant, but it's one of you no, know, it's beautifully yeah, made. It's nicely yeah, shot. Right. Some really nice shots. Is, of your, the car. is your favourite the thing as well? Then just out of uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense because yeah. it's the most accomplished, solid film of them it's all. It's the thing followed by the fog, followed by in the mouth of madness. That doesn't surprise me because you like the Lovecraftian thing. I think in the mouth of madness suffers from being too compartmentalised and not quite knowing quite the direction it wants to go. But it's still pretty good for a Carpenter movie. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, there we go. That's your Carpenter Weekly. Um, <laughs> ne- <laughs> next on uh, next week, we have Plumber Weekly and then uh, Electrician's <laughs> Weekly the following, maker, yeah. following that. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we talk about all about making barrels. Cooper. <laughs> the Cooper Times. Cooper. <laughs> Um, 19th of November. I'm not even going to pretend to know what this is. It's Jubiaba. <laughs> Jubiaba. It's a, I can tell you what it is. If you want, it's a, it's a French Brazilian film based on the homonym novel by Jorge Amado. Right. There you go. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about that. Nope. What I can let you know though, is that on the 28th of November, we had Labyrinth. Labyrinth. I watched this for this podcast. I rewatched it. Did you? I did. Yes. Only yesterday. I, I didn't get time. I didn't get time. I haven't seen this for ages. What, what was uh, your takeaway then from watching it again? <laughs> what? Aside from uh, the Bowie, the apart Bowie from bulge. what you've written here, which is bulge, 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 he's bulge, got too bulge, much bulge. bulge. He reveals his bulge <laughs> in a terrifying way to an animatronic dwarf, and that's just <laughs> unpleasant for everyone. <laughs> Do you know what bulge magic bulge? So here's a couple of things you may or may not know about Labyrinth. So Labyrinth was a, a box office failure. Do you know that? Mm, yes i do know that yeah and it actually broke jim henson he actually had a nervous breakdown potentially well basically because of labyrinth because because oh. jim henson put his heart and soul into labyrinth um so this was a combination of a number of different things that came together so jim henson's workshop the script was terry jones it wasn't actually the end script wasn't terry jones but terry jones from the monty python-esque era originally penned mm. the sort of beginning of the early version of the script and you can sort of set you can sort of tell um because there's sort of monty python-ish tonality to it a little bit but the end result was that David Bowie was brought in as Jared and therefore it needed songs because he's a singer and I think the film morphed a little bit out of the control of what it was originally set to be and it's still quite a nice charming film and later down the line it became kind of a cult classic and Mm -hmm. I think because of certain aspects to it the kind of camp gothic weird performance of David Bowie the fact that David Bowie's in it and the fact that some of the animatronic puppets in it are astonishing. Do you know um, Hoggle, who is sort of the the main dwarf that Sarah, the sort of protagonist, no, protagonist, antagonist, protagonist, um, who's on the quest mm-hmm. to find her baby and the uh, brother that's been kidnapped by the goblins because she wishes it away. Hoggle is a miniature 
I think it's a woman in the, inside the costume, but the actual face is completely animatronic, all of it. So, and it wasn't linked to the person in the costume. So she mouthed the words, but everything else was handled by five people on set to animate his face according to the requirements of what he said. So that gives you a kind of idea of the level of craftsmanship that went into Labyrinth. So mm-hmm. the character of Ludo was sculpted by a really now famous sculptor. You'd have to Google all of this stuff because I can't remember all the names of the various people involved. But if you look at some of the famous sculptures he's done, he's done these real, look like real life heads and things that are laid on sort of plinth and stuff. It's just the, the people that brought this together were a bunch of really, really talented puppeteers, vocal artists and animators of, of some description or another. And I think Jim Henson felt that this film should have been a success because it's got Muppets in it, essentially, and they're doing cool stuff and there's songs and there's everything. And yet it just didn't reach into audiences. And I think he got slated by the critics or something. Of them. And I think the reason is because the film peters along and doesn't really have much peril other than a baby in peril, periodically. Other than that, Sarah doesn't really encounter anything in the maze, in the labyrinth, that really challenges her. And so mm. it just begets, it gets a bit dull. And then David Bowie walks around cocking everyone. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> it just, you know, it just, it's just, it's just, you know, cocking. It's full on, you know, pant cock. You know, it's, it's just, you know, tights and a bulge. And that is a, like a proper bulge she's got on. So these nice, nice touches. I was always intrigued by certain things. Do you remember that? Don't say nice touches after that. <laughs> I don't want to touch that. Um, so the songs are kind of nice and twee. I think Bowie wrote about four songs for this. The puppets are all good. It's got really early CG in the owl in the opening credits. That's a that's the first siege, full CG creature that looked like an actual mm. creature or something like that. Amazing stuff. And I really, really was mesmerized by the guy that could like sw- you know, swizzle the balls. <laughs> Which is ironic for it being David Bowie's character. Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> he could, like, he, David Bowie presents himself with a massive bulge and juggles his balls a lot in this film. <laughs> he does. That's what he does. He's Jared. He juggles balls. And the dialogue in this film is quite interesting the way it's written. Uh, but he just, he just, you know, he just does that swizzly thing with crystal balls. And it's got very young Jennifer Connelly. I think she's 16 when she made this, or at least the character's 16. Yeah, yeah. So became good later on. And then the rewatch, I have to say, I like Labyrinth. I always have. I, I get the humour and I think you have to like, I was brought up on Muppets, Sesame Street. Jim Henson's been a one of the key figures of my upbringing in the sense that I was addicted to the Muppet show and all that kind of stuff. So this is just more Muppets for me and I totally get it. Um, but I think the sadness is a little bit that many people didn't. Well, I think my my main problem with Labyrinth is I just I didn't you know I'm not a big fan of the songs and there's too many of them. So yeah, so it's it's that Dis- it's that probably it's that Disney problem. It's like stop singing, please. You're not a musical. It doesn't feel like a musical. So because it doesn't feel like a musical and because it doesn't have quite the knockabout humor should we say or the knockabout stuff that some of the uh, muppet movies are so some i really like muppets christmas carol yeah and even though that's got songs in i really like that but it feels it, they, they fit more for some reason i don't know whether it's for some reason those songs fit better into that this just felt like oh we've got bowie so we better have some songs and it just it's exactly they, they, what it just, was yeah, and I just I just don't like them. I just don't think it fits. No. And, and and I think this film would have been, you know, I, I don't know. I've not watched it for ages, but I think even at the time, I seem to remember re- watching it and going, it's all just a bit too twee and a bit too, there's a bit, there's just not enough. There's, I wanted it to be a bit darker. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that was, that's, you've hit upon one of the big problems with Labyrinth is that it isn't, it's what, it really tries to be funny, but it's not. 
No, and I think the material needs to be treated with a bit more, with less levity and a bit more seriousness for it to come across as something that is more of a scary challenge for Sarah as opposed to just, you know, jaunting around a maze with a lot of Muppets asking her stupid questions. I wanted something more in tone with the Dark Crystal. Well, this is the next film after the Dark Crystal, isn't it? It is, it is exactly, and that's what I was kind of expecting. I was expecting that, but what I got was more Muppets. Well, that was Jim Henson's aim, though. He didn't want to make another Dark Crystal. He wanted something that had more appeal. Which I, but for me personally, my personal taste is I would, I much preferred Dark Crystal. Way prefer. I love, I love the Dark but Crystal. But you are a Skeksis. I know it. You don't look like it now, but over time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've, you've been. You was, you, it was always quite skexy for want of a I descriptive was, term. I was, you know, you know, I have a massive hunchback and I walk around, sort of thing, eating frogs so from goblets. With, you know, you got a long beak and you do drink the es- <laughs> You do drink the essence of of uh, gelflings when you get them, and now they're rarer. Obviously. Uh, well, you know, I can't, I can't get enough of them. You know, and you can't get a lot of them in Lincolnshire, uh, which is annoying. Sort of thing. I've asked, at, I've asked at every pub I can find. I thought this would be plenty of people around here, um, but they're like. Now, sign, it's the out. sign they put on the front. Gelflings sold out. <laughs> like, oh, damn it. I was gonna go in there. It is, yeah. It's, uh, you know, you just can't get the HGV drivers to, to uh, drive them around. Can you imagine a it? pub that was labyrinth-based? It'd just be all bulgy and cocky. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be sat down sort of thing. There'd just be something poking you in the back. Every every seat would have a thing poking out the back of it. You'd be like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's the Bowie seat. So, and I'm pretty it's, sure uh, that it was Iman Bowie watched this film and she's like, I'm having him. I want I want him. I want, I want, the, I want the Goblin King. <laughs> Right now, I want to gobble. I want. <laughs> there's another word. There's something else with the word gobbling in there. there is. There. So no. Do you, do, I'm not saying it. So though. you're not a fan of Labyrinth, or you are? I didn't. Not very. Not really. No, I never have been. I, find, I just find it a bit. Like I said, it's not. It's not one thing nor the other. Yeah. It's in a. It's in a strange middle it's ground. It's in the Return to Oz camp for me a little bit. Yeah. 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 That's a really good call. Actually, yes. It's. It's not. It's not perilous enough. It's not dark enough. It's not light enough. The Muppets are funny and light, and even with you know Michael Caine's great in the Muppet Chris Carroll. I'll come back to that one because that's probably my favourite Muppet film. Yeah, and and that treads that that works. It's gone the right way. This sits somewhere in a no man's land of, and it's yeah. I think maybe it's the Terry Gilliam influence because you've yes. got because Terry Gilliam would make you know things like Time Bandits, yep. and, and then even he would mess up as well with things like uh, Baron Munchausen, which is a bit of a mess of a it film. Is. I quite like but it. Has though. some great mo- has some great moments in it, and it's not terrible, but you know a, a massive flop, wasn't mm. it? Like. Well, obviously like this but you know you can see the Terry Gilliam influence in this but then you can also see oh, we don't actually want to be that dark and I imagine that you know when you think of Terry Gilliam and you know things like Holy Grail and stuff like oh, that yeah, which yeah, have got yeah. these dark moments in amongst all the absurdity I wanted it needs to it needs to be like that and it's not and it's too it's, I don't know and even back then I was like I watched it I think I went to the cinema to see it because I thought you know what I think I was traumatised by the bulge but hmm. but you know in amongst the, all that I just never really got on no, with and it we, and really we did. haven't come across the Commodore 64 game of Labyrinth yet have we? We have not that will be coming up I think in the next few months mm. probably which features um, the word adumbrate which threw me for a long time because I wasn't sure what that meant <sighs> What does it mean? Well, that's Google for you. That's a Google mission. You could just tell me. I don't know. Off the top of my head. Oh, I, right. know, I know it features <laughs> I that word. You knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maybe they spelt something else I'll wrong. I'll Google it for you right now. Hang on. A dumb break. Oh, do it. Do it. Just while I mentioned the last film, you you get on with that. Um, because the last film is the 28th November. On the same day as Labyrinth, we've got another film about small things going around. We've got Critters. I was never a big fan of Critters. It's one of those mid 80s. 80s to the core, isn't it? Yeah. It's in that. Uh, what was it? What was the other one? Ghoulies. Yes. It's in the that. Same sort of camp for me. 
so it's little creatures crites aren't they he calls them yeah hunting crites, them. little creatures in a small town gremlins biting people and eating people like gremlins yeah but on the back of gremlins yeah. it was all on the back of that so it was a it's a, it's a sort of knockabout comedy horror isn't yeah. it yeah 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 totally so it's it's not terribly horrific it's not terribly comedic but it's kind of funny in some stupid way it's you know mid midtown america small town america um i have no real you know i don't mind them they're stupid they are what they are they're mid 80s stupid horror films mm. you know you take take them or leave them critters ghoulies what was the other one um i don't think it was um little creature but chud chud that's right sort of yeah. lump it in with chud yeah cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers that's right and then the sequel chud the bud so, and this is the same guy that made bill and ted's excellent adventure so oh really yeah, so, wow. so he had a kind of he, had, he could tell a visual story it was kind of nice visually oh yes yeah, St- stephen herrick i've heard of stephen herrick yes and by the way um, um adumbrate means to foreshadow a future event. Well, there you go. I've learned something today. Not been a waste. What else did we do? What else did he do? He also did Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Yeah, exactly. The Mighty Ducks, The Three Musketeers, Mr. Holland's Opus. Mm, quite a few. He also did the uh, Time Machine by Black Sabbath. Oh, okay. Well, the music video. I think, yeah, sure, yeah. How bizarre. Did that. How bizarre. I know. The life of a jobbing director, I guess. Was uh, Chris's last film? Oh, no. You no, it was Bill and Ted's. It was, no, it was his first film. Was Bill and Ted's one. Chris so, is his first so film. So was his last film? Is he still operating? Oh, he is. Yeah. yeah, he's still going. Working on well, the last things he did were MacGyver. He did, uh, yes, Afterlife of the Party in 2021. So he's still he's still rocking it. He is. Oh yeah, Afterlife, and, and he's filming something called Dog Gone at the good moment. Good old Stephen Herrick. Good, he's a good guy. He's <sighs> yeah. one of the greats. But he did R- Rush Rush Hour as well. In an episode of that Hawaii Five O, working in TV. Most yeah. Well, anyway, there you go. Critters, not Critters. my thing. I didn't dig it. It's I sh- it, the thing is, it, it's it's something I should probably like, and I don't. I think one of the things to note here, though, is is how many sort of more established. Because I mean, it's, you know, if you look at Three Musketeers, Mister Holland's Opus, these are decent sized mm. Hollywood movies. It's quite the quite. There's quite a number of these people that cut their teeth on these cheap. Yeah, you know, cheap sort of budget horror films. If you, I mean, even if you look at we spoke about Aliens and James Cameron with like Galaxy of Terror and uh, Piranha Two. Yeah, you know, they, these people they, they cut their teeth on these early things, and a lot of them, I don't know if a lot of them came through Roger Corman and stuff, and you know, I think that probably that angle. But people like uh, what was it, Jim Jim Muro? Mm. Um, who did a load of steady cam and stuff and became a director he did street trash didn't he yeah he did so there's quite i imagine there's quite a few of these directors that started off with making these um sort of low budget mid-80s horror films that were sort of went on to decent careers in hollywood and probably a lot of them that never did <laughs> and on that uh on that sad note I believe that's pretty much it, isn't it, for our it film is. and TV section? Yes. We've bulged um, out. So, absolutely. Uh, so, that section definitely bulged in the middle uh, <laughs> or bulged towards the end um, mm. with, uh, you know, and if you can find your way out of Labyrinth, yes. uh, don't trip over the bulge. You will, you will. You will. Um, dang- so- it'll dangle that in front of you. <laughs> Bowie sausage. While he's juggling his three balls. <laughs> Absolutely. First, is it for Cumberland or Bowie? Actually, to be fair, it would make a good intro to Grange Hill, wouldn't it? Where just Bowie's bulge goes <laughs> into that shot. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, but you'd have to do it in the voice of Bowie, though. <laughs> What's Grange Hill so. is Grange Hill. I'm terrible at Bowie. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's good at Bowie. Right, there we go. That's your film and TV. Let's move on because we've got games, more games coming up after this short break. See you in a bit. Go 
shout out to our sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Coming soon, Dave's next book is called Escape from the Commodore 64. Set in Australia in the 80s, Sarah and Nell find themselves trapped inside the Commodore and must escape. Imagine finding yourself as the sheriff of a Wild West town where it seems everyone wants a gunfight. How will they get out alive? Say, isn't that the Mexicali kid? Dave's podcast pick is Sanxion, which he was terrible at because it required multitasking. Two bits of the screen to watch. Still, it's top shelf stuff, and he loved Hubbard's Thala music. Okay, welcome back. Uh, to this last section where we've got some bits and bobs. I think we've actually got, surprise, surprise, we've got some crapverts, I do believe, Woo. as well. Just a couple, just a couple, but we've got some. All it we've takes. found some. All it takes, yes. So like, what we've got first up, we've got first up, it's, in brackets, cleanup time. Uh, another budget title, £1.99. This gets uh, cracked in at 75%. So what's its cleanup time? Well, this is a an odd game. I know we say this about a lot of games, but this is another odd concept so what did this put me in the mind of all right so we're in single screen arcade style gameplay here and it reminded me kind of visually and sonically of super pipeline i don't know if you got that yeah, maybe there was some yeah, kind of super pipeline-esqueness of it to it but it also you know because you've got a simple task to do uh, a simple menial task like super pipeline you're fixing uh, you fixing pipes and in this you're just brushing up detritus rubbish whatever it is and you're bothered by objects that from the sort of environment that patrol around you um this also reminded me of the uh, i don't know if you remember the that old ancient space panic yes um yes, you know yes. what's considered like the first platform game and things like burger time yeah because essentially it's a single screen you climb up and down ladders doing things on the platforms you don't jump um and there are objects moving around so you are you play a cleaner and you have to move up and down the platforms uh they're connected by ladders and you essentially you just got to sweep up the mess left on the floor you can fire left and right while you're moving to shoot the enemies that patrol and you have three smart bombs which seems a really weird addition to a game like this um i thought if you clean up all the mess that's on the floor you can progress to the next level the if you do it quickly you can do it quite quickly and move on uh if you leave it over time then the enemies patrolling create mess on the floor meaning it takes longer to progress and so on and so forth there are eight levels it's all right you get a weird interstitial cutscene from when you complete level two did you get that did you get that far because if you get through level two there's a cutscene in which the little guy wanders across the screen you're controlling he complains of eating too much bends over with his ass towards the screen neither farts or shits himself <laughs> I'm not kidding. This, this no, no, I, no. I, I don't think I ever saw that. This actually happened. You know, I may have. I'm I got to level two. Sure. When did this occur? It was in between two and three, so it's when you complete level two. Uh, that explains that I didn't go past the second level. So I, I couldn't tell which, you know, and, and as I noticed, you know, thinking, you know, eating too much. We've, we've all been there at our age, but, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's what I've it is, I guess. pointed my ass to those people <laughs> and just shit on them, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it is one of those things. Hey, it is what clean- it is. <laughs> and, and, and at that point, I actually said, it's clean-up time. <laughs> <laughs> to which your loving partner was just, oh, again. <laughs> well, <she> was... <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's not my fault. I'm old. She's actually lam- anyway. laminated her hands now. There's <laughs> 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 just a, it's just an outline of her on the wall. <laughs> it was that much forcefulness. <laughs> it was that much of a blast. It, it took she off like her the eyebrows. <laughs> she looked like the well-tanned ninja from Ninja. <laughs> she had a mask on at the time. Oh, the poor lady. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're so you're so well-tanned. It's not tan. The nunchucks wouldn't have helped that. 
Uh, anyway, <laughs> various creatures move about the platforms. You can shoot them. Oh, whatever. It's not too taxing, and it's you know it's a very, it's quite an early. It feels like an early eighties uh, arcade game. Mm. Um, and I could really see it. it's kind of what we said with Super Pipeline to some degree. Yep. There's some nice touches. You can play two player uh, Mario Brothers style, mm. um, playing on the same screen. Weirdly enough, I didn't quite know you can select your difficulty by moving your guy along, can't you? Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, uh, the, easy it, to it, difficult. Yeah, easy to hard. So it's like you have some. I wondered if there was actually that granular level um, of control over the difficulty, or whether it was actually. <laughs> Don't really matter what you do. It's all just, there's no difficulty, it's just whatever. The graphics are nice and chunky. The sound is just loads of weird little recognizable tunes. There was another game we played recently, and I can't remember what it was, that had loads of weird tunes that were recognizable. It might be that time tunnel. Yeah, similar. Um, similar to that. I mean, to be fair, for two quid, this was all right. I didn't mind it. Again, if I'd have played this on a Sunday afternoon, I'd been going by your you know, rating and recommendation. I'd have been all right with this. I think, you know, yeah. I don't mind these sort of simple single screen arcade games when they're done all right with a little bit of sense of humor and weirdness and cutscenes where you shit yourself. I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have passed my, that would have made me laugh like a drain back in 1986. What about you? Did you enjoy your time with cleaning up the, uh, <laughs> when we last met and I said to you, it's clean up time. <laughs> the, the irony of the fact that one of the characters is called Otto and the other characters is called Bobbin. So, <laughs> Bobbin? Yeah, he's Bobbin. Is that what they're called? Bobbin, yeah. B-O-B-B-A-N. Boban. Boban. So he's full of Bob. Aye! He's kind of blocky. And the audio... Chunky. The audio I've described as a screwdriver in the ear. But um, <laughs> yeah. but it's a, it follows very simple arcade platform logic. And it just sticks yes. to that. And because it sticks to that and it doesn't try and search the furniture for the story and dress up the story with all of this stuff, it's just two guys who have got to clean a, a hotel before a certain period of time and got to go through the levels. I think it's eight levels. Yeah. And that's that's it. That's the premise. It's simple game logic. And we said it many times, simple done well works better than anything else so mm-hmm. i yes. thought blocky graphics even though they were, they were blocky but they were kind of arcade inspired blocky so they worked still pipe the around me super pipeline yeah it was super pipeline it's a there's a mario-esque logic to this game and a pipeline logic it's a it's a better two player and it's just simple you know clean up the stuff you know work your way around avoid the stuff i like the way you pick your difficulty i thought it was quite interesting i'm sure it didn't make much difference but i quite like the fact that if you wanted two player you did pull the joystick down and a upside down player appeared underneath and yeah yeah, so it's quite just nice. little touches like that make a it make it more arcadey. And there was a weird Mario esque. It reminded me a little bit of remember Mario Hotel on the CDI. I know, but it's the game that oh, Mario God. fans don't Ugh. talk about. But it just yeah, yeah. that kind of platform logic Ugh. reminded me a little bit of that. I, th- I thought it was for one ninety nine again. The Sunday afternoon test. I'd have happily sat there for a couple of hours just trying to work my way through those eight levels for one ninety nine. It's it's pretty damn good. And the enemy logic and the graphics are what they are in these platform games. It adhered to the simple rules of the arcade, and because it did that and didn't try and over egg the pudding and kept it simple, it didn't head down Nomad Avenue. It just stayed on, <laughs> stayed on uh, its clean up time street where the logic was fun and simple. Just keep it simple. We say this all the time. We, we've said it, I'm, I'm sure you still do, to games development students all the time. Just keep your game logic simple. Do simple brilliantly because that's the best way. To do simple brilliantly is better than doing complicated badly. Uh-huh. And this game is a really good example of that. Simple game done simply. 
stick to your logic, keep it nice and short and simple and playable, admit the difficulty based around the fact that you've got to avoid stuff no problem mm-hmm. i uttered, I uttered these very words this week to my to my students this week we were asking like why well, can't we put this in the game i went look mario is run sprint and jump yeah and that's before mario you Brothers. turned around and then fart blasted them against the wall <laughs> <laughs> it's cleanup time <laughs> it's like, mr mills where are my eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> sir what have you done <laughs> no sorry peter but uh you're gonna a you're gonna need new eyebrows and b it's going to take you at least two or, two or three hours to work way off that wall. Absolutely. And, and also, you're really going to need a toothbrush to get it out of the cracks in that keyboard. Is it, my ass wax is like a, a seal. A it's, it's, like, it's, yeah, it's like silicon sealant. Once it's on you, it ain't coming off so easy. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Washing up liquid and petrol might get that off. <laughs> people ask me round when they're, uh, they're bath leaking and I just move along the edge. <laughs> So that was my take on it anyway. I, I, I enjoyed that. I don't enjoy being shit on or anything like that. You know, that's, no. uh, that's, not, that's not a territory or a place I want to be. And I'm just now I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm going to buy you a five kilo tub of Swarfiga now, just in case you need it. To be fair, I've, I've nearly, I've ne- I have nearly run out of the last lot you bought me. <laughs> well, you need to distribute that to your students before you uh, grease them to the wall with your, with your ass wax. And I'm thinking like proper Arak style. You know, it's like a <laughs> sound, like a it's like a, the, the sound of um, I don't know, like a, a pump when it's almost out of that kind of a foosh, a foosh sound. And then there's just students like uh, 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 like alien like style. A, yeah, I was going to say yeah, Kill it's like me. when Dallas and stuff is yeah. <laughs> Kill me! It's it's cleanup time. <laughs> Kill me! <laughs> I, just I, came here for a degree. I don't want to know what you shoved down their throats to lay an egg. So let's end it there. I think we really should. <laughs> oh, let's go on to a really bad dog egg. Oh God, I forgot. Yeah, that. so yeah. there you go. It's cleanup time. Um, it's a, it's a good arcade, simple fun. There you go, two quid. It's all right. Let's move on. Two. This next one, you can have this one. Ten pounds, sixty percent. Asterix and the Magic Baldron. Asterix and the Magic Cauldron. Graham, tell us all about it. So you either like Asterix the Gaul or you don't. And Asterix the Gaul is in the same realm for me as Tintin. So lots and lots and lots of books about characters I didn't really give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Asterix in this particular adventure, get a fix. <laughs> Is uh, is looking for a heroin dealer? No, he's not really. That's a totally different, get, <laughs> a totally different get a fix. Get a fix is well. It would explain the magic cauldron. Well, he has a, in all the episodes of because if you know Asterix well, Asterix and Obelix, I think, is his sidekick. So it's Lenny and mm-hmm. George essentially. Asterix um, to beat the Romans who have invaded Gaul goes to get a fix, and he creates this magic potion in his cauldron, which gives him super strength and. <laughs> Lots of fun happens because he beats the Romans. That's the story of Asterix repeatedly with various different, you know, Roman emperors and leaders that he fights. In this particular version of the of the story, and the cauldron's been broken and the pieces of the cauldron have been distributed all over. And so in order to brew the magic potion so that um, Asterix and Co can save the village, the Gaulish village, and stand, can stand against the Romans, he has to reassemble the cauldron by finding the pieces. So cue 
the game, which is wandering around, trying to find pieces of the cauldron to assemble it, to get to get a fix, to get the potion, to beat the Romans, blah, blah, blah. Now, this is a uh, Melbourne House game, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Mel- Melbourne House have developed this really weird style. So they make kind of really weirdly blocky games. And so this is a kind of blocky game. Uh, and you kind of want... Now, it's blocky and it take, takes place over, I think... I'm not sure how many rooms there are. I don't think there's a great massive amount of rooms, but it takes time to... Every time you go into a room or a screen or a, a next left or right or up or down on the map, it draws it. So it draws the trees and the kind of huts and the kind of Gaulish village or the Roman village or the woodlands or whatever you're in. And it takes time to do that. It's kind of slow. And it's so Last Ninja did the same thing. When you went to you know, various locations in Last Ninja, it drew the kind of backgrounds, but it did it kind of speedily because there wasn't, it was more path and less you know, leaves and twigs and berries and stuff. This one has enormous parts of the scenery drawn in. So you draw, you, so it actually becomes a massive detraction from the gameplay. So you can't just run around doing stuff because you, you can't, because the minute you go off the screen to go somewhere else, it's, draw the screen and then next screen and draw the screen and it's so slow so uh, i think there's about 50 odd screens you've got to explore to try and find these pieces and i can tell you even navigating between five of those screens is a real pain in the ass and there's different locations and this periodically um you're attacked by different creatures i think this wild boar ironically um today it was announced <gasps> that uh, poor shakira was attacked by the pop star Shakira was attacked by a wild boar in a very similar incident to what we're describing. So the game is essentially wandering around, picking stuff up and trying to find the cauldron pieces in a game that draws slowly each screen as you appear. So I think that's a problem. I think the level drawing became a problem for me. When you actually find a piece or go into combat, it zooms in in a kind of really weird way. So it zooms in, but it zooms in to make it even blockier and worse. (laughs) So it just becomes like, it's maybe a little bit faster, but you sort of get an extra blocky version of what you were trying to do. And the fighting is just stupid. Now, fighting and the the combat thing is a huge part of the Asterix world. What I don't get is, because this is like an almost reverse Way of the Tiger. Way of the Tiger took the combat part and made it shit. This takes all of the aspects of Asterix and makes them shit. (laughs) And I wasn't even a big fan of Asterix to begin with. So the one crazy thing out of all of this is that even its blocky representation, they kind of look like Asterix. So the kind of look is there, but it doesn't really inspire you to want to explore the levels because of the slowness. It doesn't really feel like you're really progressing much. The music is jaunty, but it repeats really quickly and so it gets really annoying and in the end it's so bloody annoying and so slow and drawy that i felt like it had real optimized code issues and it suffered from massive overcomplication and without simplifying because it's a simple logic of a game wrapped in something that just inevitably ends up frustrating you and getting you angry i think 60 percent was generous for this because this is a crap game at the end of it all so I would have given this a lot lower. I would have given this like for nine ninety five, thirties. It would have been the thirties, maybe even the twenties for me. What about you? Yeah. Well, hey, hey, hey wise guy, wise guy. You might <laughs> recognise those graphics and why they're drawn like that. Oh, That's because it's me again. It's Mugsy. It's the people. It's the same people who did Mugsy. Oh no. Ah, yeah. Did you not notice? As soon as, you, as soon as it loads up, it's the Mugsy drawing routine. Asterix, <laughs> you mook. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you play this in the style of Mugsy, it becomes much better. Oh, so no, hey, it hey, hey, <laughs> I'm a gal. Oh yeah. <laughs> when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to be a gal. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, dreadful. It's asterisk. Uh, but because it's from the same people in Bugsy, they use it clearly using the same tech, and that's why the screen is so slow to load because it's mm. that, that that you know that drawing technique they got. Oh, I hate and, it. Yeah, it's so it's so boring and so slow. You wander from screen to screen, waiting age for stuff to load. I've got better things to do with my times than this. I've got to, you know, I can. I've got I've got people to plaster to walls. Maybe you need to be a crazy Asterix fan or something to really give this any time. But I'm I'm not. I'm not like a no. Un, un, unlike unlike, and this is where the, these games differ. I'm not a huge Dan Dare fan either. But I enti- enjoyed my time yeah. with the Dan Dare game. Yeah. I'm not a massive Asterix fan, but I certainly didn't enjoy my time with the Asterix game. Because this is essentially another flick screen wanderathon with boring pop up fights, which technically are weirdly, yeah, they do make it blocky, but they're quite clever in the, yeah, the blocky, yeah, the, the okay. top up, the fighting in a window style thing. It's a bit Frankie goes to Hollywoody sort of thing. Some, you know, those kind of things are all right, technically, okay. But each screen is like watching a screen for a text adventure draw up, like Mugsy or like the Pawn or like any of those kind of games which do it really slowly. And whilst you don't mind it so much in those, because the pace is all different and it's part and parcel of it, waiting for like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, whatever. This is an arcade adventure this is supposed to have a bit of pace and it just kills it it kills the game dead it's just i couldn't i was like what am i waiting for i've got other things to be doing like you know mm, mm. eating a twix or, or anything to uh, I, I think I didn't it's like it playing on the popularity of the asterix books isn't it and well, well yeah i mean but they were I niche think, i think, I, I, they, I think were. they were i'm not sure i knew of asterix I was aware of Asterix, but I'm not sure that Asterix was as big a deal over in the UK as it was elsewhere in the world. You would say that because he came round to your house as a <laughs> goal and, you know, trashed your bedroom. Yeah, he did. But he did it really slowly. And every time he did anything, he had to be redrawn. <laughs> exactly. He moved into your bedroom and it drew itself. And you were like, why is my bedroom doing that? My bedroom doesn't normally draw my bed. <laughs> <laughs> what's going on and then when he walked towards me i found myself popping into a smaller window but it came even blockier <laughs> it was a really weird episode in my house i think i had too much on the magic cauldron at that I point think you definitely had get a fix had been definitely getting you a fix or something <laughs> oh dear you know i didn't like asterix i thought it was crap and i'm guessing you did too really didn't mm-hmm. you so um yeah just a, 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 a what are they doing what are they doing at melbourne house we know what we've got coming up without you know we we lauded we loved way the exploding fist what have they done since yeah yes that's the What's question going you on have to over ask. There? it's because the, the people that made way the exploding fist weren't hired again to make asterix and the magic cauldron well no he's working on thinking he's working on fist too and we oh, we've got uh, uh, no uh, i tell you what, a question a question i would ask actually just before we leave Asterix, and I'm asking, oh, I'm asking just the listeners of the podcast and the people who, and the, you're in a forum, aren't you? And the people in that forum who were very well, mm-hmm. well, very well informed. This cannot have been because Asterix is a French thing, isn't it? I, I believe it is French. So yes, yes. I just, I would ask, you know, globally from our global listeners, we've got listeners in Australia, we've got listeners all over the world, which is amazing. So thank you for everybody listening. But I'm just wondering, did Asterix reach? you in your parts world was it called the same thing was it asterix and the cauldron of whatever the hell it is or in australia did they change the name of asterix to you know sort of you know some other name because asterix and the magic cauldron sounds great here but and just as an additional extra i actually really liked the alternative to asterix which was believe it or not this is true there was a series of stories with a character called is no good which was a guy that wanted to be a caliph in the middle east instead of the caliph it's basically asterix but it's a guy that's sort of in the middle east and he was called is no good so go and check that out 
Just, I'm just saying. Okay, I'll read that while watching these William Hartnell Doctor Who programs. Well, the Tom Baker one, sorry, yeah, Tom, Tom Baker. Baker. All right, yeah, but I'm not going to play Asterix and the Magic Cauldron ever again. No, it's utter crap. Yeah, it is. So let's move on from that lot. To our penultimate game of the episode, which is Deactivators. So this is a full price game again, nine ninety five. This got eighty two percent. Weird game. This I get lots of weird games. This is a strange thing. So oh, what's okay? So let me try and describe Deactivators to you. This sees you controlling a series of droids in monochrome rooms to find and deactivate bombs that have been strewn around a building that you're responsible for guarding kind of five nights at freddy style you kind of watch through uh security cameras or something i don't know there's probably a plot to this but uh i'm sorry after the plots for uh sanction and nomad i'm not going down this plot nonsense anymore <laughs> so i've had enough of these plots so there may be something here there's something about bombs getting scattered around a building anyway you've got to look through these screens and in these screens there are robots and you got you got a map at the bottom so but you can see two rooms at once so Mm. and so you can move between them if there's a door um, and you can drop through holes and you can pick up the bombs and there's pieces of circuit board scattered around um, and you can throw the bombs up through holes in the ceiling and then there's other droids about that have been have had their brains scrambled the ai scrambled so they will attack you and kill you just for, for reasons the division i think you know it, i found it quite confusing i have to say because <laughs> it sounds really confusing i don't know how else to describe this the visuals are crisp so let's move away from the plot and stuff so the visuals are crisp they're nice and high res because uh, they're single color for a lot of it uh they move quite fast you can move around these because you see the you see the rooms in a sort of pseudo 3d so uh the castles of mad Do- the mad doctor one yeah. and stuff like so you see it like that and so you move back and forth through you know into these rooms in 3d you see it from one side through the camera two of them side by side like i said so you kind of see them that way so you can move in and out of them and there are do you you know you've got to avoid the other droids and things like that if you press the fire button this brings up some icons at the bottom but you're not overkill with the icons they're quite simple it's just basically swap through the different droids you can control you can control which two screens you see as well which is kind of a, a, a weird touch but i guess you know if you want to see to the left or the right it's odd anyway you can control that or you can you know lob the bomb if you've got hold of a bomb and pick the <laughs> angle you want to throw it and yeah okay so it's it's quite a clever concept i imagine that there's a really clever concept here and it's and it's pretty well delivered but i i, I just i found myself personally just a lost mm-hmm. i did i couldn't get a handle on it and i was never quite sure what i was doing or how i was supposed to achieve the ends which i wasn't quite aware of anyway i had to get the bombs out of the building but i've just found myself stuck in rooms with no exits after falling through yep. the floor and couldn't work out well am i supposed to work or what i don't know how to navigate through this space i watched a youtube playthrough of it because i thought hang on a minute let me just watch a youtube see some more. and i was still none the wiser it was just someone zipping through rooms doing stuff it's just, i think it's just, it's a smart game hacker like maybe spy versus spy is a another thing that you know somewhere along the line there's parts of that in this maybe i have to start actually sure about this it got it i think you know they really liked it i think they got more from it whether there was some stuff in the manual that really helped i don't know but i found myself not really sure what the hell I was doing with this. And I tried and I tried and I had many, quite a few goes, watched the YouTube video, tried to get my head around it, tried to find some rules, tried to find some, but I just couldn't, couldn't do it. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, there was something about it that just I, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I, I feel a bit like I'm letting it down a bit because I feel there is quite a clever game here, but it just left me bewildered, I think is the word I took away from this. So did you get more from it? Did you get, did you understand it better than I did? I thought it was dog egg. <laughs> and so let's move on. <laughs> I 
didn't like the look of it when it loaded and when I was going through it and starting it. I thought, okay, so it's a it's an arcade puzzly maze thing, but uh, and it was it operated quite fast, so that's one good thing about it. And it's got those kind of almost vector style graphics, but not quite. And I sort of went through the sort of read through the story arc of it, you know, the whole you've got to control the bomb squad disposal droids and you've got to do all of that and, and all that stuff. And I and I lost myself in there. And then so and when I came to play the game, I was just kind of I kind of got bewildered by what I was doing. Periodically I could control the it looked like a Pac-Man ghost that I was kind of pushing backwards and forwards. Then I was on kind of on a map in the middle and it, and I was thinking it's I, I just wasn't sure exactly. So I wasn't sure what, exactly what I was doing. So I, I deferred to kind of instructions and tried to figure that out. Didn't reveal much about it. And in the end, I came to the simple conclusion that there's, there might have been an interesting game in there, but there was fucked if I could find it. I, I, <laughs> I, I tried and tried and tried and I couldn't get to it. Um, I just thought it was a weird 3D-ish puzzle game that I found impossible to play and understand what I was doing at any point. And I thought, yeah, no, yeah. Um, it got 82% in Zap. So it makes me think that at some level they figured something out about it that I didn't. I just couldn't quite figure out how the map related to the the two sort of player screen things and the the bomb disposal droids. And I I found myself not being able to move the things I thought I could at any given moment. I was moving Mm -hmm. the joystick around at one point. It was moving sort of squares around the map thing in the in sort of in the central console at the bottom. Yep. And so and I thought, oh, is it a bit like chess? Is that certain things can move in certain ways? And then all of a sudden, I could just move the droid thing in the screen up. Back, sort of back towards the thing. And it was quite fast in the kind of a sort of 3D depth kind of way. And it's like, okay, and I went through a door and then all of a sudden I was controlling the left sort of screen because it was split into three, wasn't it? it was the bottom map yeah. sort of controller thing. There was the left screen. And then after, I was like, what What the hell am I doing? <laughs> this what is the most confusing doing? review ever. <laughs> and, and, and I started thinking, what? Am I, I haven't deactivated anything, and that's the name of the game. And there yeah. are there are bombs there, and I can't reach them. I can't do anything. Am I even controlling this game? Do you know what? Uh, suddenly, at one point, I, re- I thought to myself, have I just been playing, you know, because I've done this before. Playing a demo. Play, yeah, the demo <laughs> mode running, and I'm like moving the joystick, thinking it was me. Am I doing that? And then, no, no, it was definitely me. And I was thinking, you know what? Make your games more instant and playable or get lost because for 9.95 if i'd have bought this i would have expected to just be able to get into it and start defusing bombs a la spy versus spy in that kind of universe so i'm running around mm. i find a bomb and i press the fire button five four three two one bombs disabled and then another bomb appears on my bomb map at the bottom of the screen oh my god i've got to run from five screens but there's things blocking me between there and now i've got to navigate a landscape or these enemies in my way how am i going to navigate that and i've only got limited amount of ammo to shoot things i'm not making the game up for you people who may deactivators i'm just saying that's the way i would have done it which is way better than your <laughs> stupid crappy shit game <laughs> so i don't think it's that bad i think it's just a, i just don't think we got it but that is a problem if you don't it get a problem, it yeah and i looked at the instructions and i looked at the blurb and i looked at all the wrappings and everything else this was a this was a christmas paper wrapped dog shit <laughs> And so I opened that paper, peeled it back, thinking, this is lovely. And then there was cling film. And I'm like, that's weird. Why would anyone put wrapping paper over cling film? And then when I peeled open the cling film, the smell of dog shit hit me. And I'm like, that's an evil (laughs) present. That's nasty. Whoever sent me that is nasty. You should never send someone a dog shit. No, Uh, because then it's cleanup time. Exactly. It was cleanup time. So, yeah. I didn't enjoy deactivators. I'd have been angry at myself for paying 10 quid for that. It's a load of, <laughs> yeah. load of nonsense. And, um, and I don't think it's that if we both didn't get it, if, if I mean, normally in this situation, you normally figure these things out way quicker than I do. But if you didn't get it and I didn't get it, then that tells me that this game is not something that's instantly gettable. 
because you know we're pretty savvy guys so nah no no nah, one no. for us no not for us no 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 okay so that's deactivators too too complex and just weird and i don't get it so there we go let's move on To our final, final, final game for this episode and this month. And, well, have I left one of the best till last? There's a question. Don't know, have I? Because, Graham, Alley Cat... Tell us, tell us about the Alley Cat. So this is a Andrew Braybrook game. So what the expectations are, uh, polish and other stuff. This was dialogued in Zap as well, I think, with a bit of a... Was it a making of diary, developer diary kind of thing again? Was there? I don't know. No, I don't think there was for this. I thought there was for Alley Cat. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I think Morph- Morpheus oh, was Morpheus the one. Oh, Morpheus was the one. So Alley Cat is a... It's kind of... It's either... A racing game with shoot 'em up elements or a shoot 'em up racing elements. But the idea is you've got a sort of a craft, a you know, a speeder craft, and uh, you compete in eight sort of. It's a bit actually, if it's almost a top down version of the pod racing from the Star Wars movie, then. Mm. So it's that kind of idea. Um, so you, you sort of compete in these sort of top down, super fast races, almost shoot 'em up style, really. So sort of vertical scrolling shooter with sort of top down logic. You control the speed of the ship with your fire button and up and down. You can almost do a loop the loop. That felt a little bit to me like 1942 arcade, so that kind of logic. So it's I think it's a scrolling race shmup, really. And it kind of borrows from a central idea of a lot of other games to sort of fulfill a kind of arcade mentality. So it's fast scrolling arcade style kind of shooting, usual uh, Braybrook kind of noises in the sound effects department. So blippy, bloppy, very iridium very paradroid style noises. I think the graphics, I felt they were a little bit dull and uninspired, but at the same time, they kind of work in the context of this. The color schemes were a bit lame. It almost had a spy hunter vibe to the kind of, the way it worked, sort of left and right sides of the screen with kind of bits of sort of landscape and stuff that happens in the middle. There is a almost pure logic, arcade logic to it. So it, and that I think is undeniable. It's, it's a really attempting to be an arcade. It's all about getting through, I think there's eight levels, but it's all about getting through the levels and getting the score. It's all about score and accumulation of that and getting that and the speed and the essence. Problem I had with it was I didn't enjoy it. I felt that it was just a bit dull. And um, as much as there's different kind of race sort of mentalities and different layouts and graphics and stuff like that, and there's even a cooperative two-play mode, which sounded confusing beyond belief, actually. problem I had for me is that there's a pure arcade logic, maybe, and it's undeniable, really, and it's designed to make you want to keep racing and do better and get faster. just didn't do that for me. I just felt like it was a bit too hard, too difficult, too much, too infuriating to really have any longevity and so it made kind of made me want to tune out it had all of the trappings but it just lacked the player sensibility that made me want to really replay it It just felt like it was it was too much trouble to bother with and too difficult what about you yeah it's interesting to hear you say that actually because kind of mirrors we're we're so on the same page with a lot of these at the moment so yeah it's the fourth andrew it's the fourth andrew braybrook game we've looked at Mm. that's quite some going in this it's a short Short amount of time time, so four games pretty crazy six months a game and I'll start with the good, okay, because what's good about this game is everything around the game. The presentation of this game is is incredible. 
Mm. So it's you know it's it's standout. It's a presentation standout. This is highly polished. That title screen, I really like the title. I like the title screen music. Just cool, neat touches all the way through it. There's the animations are really nice. The sort of way it shows you all the different enemies on the title screen, all that kind of stuff. There's the animations. There's the raster bar effects. There's everything. It looks lovely. It's so smooth. It's so nice. The high score entry is good. The t- the height and the t- way the table is. It's a, to me this is a proper masterclass in in polish. Yeah. If you're gonna look at polish around a game so that's where it is so everything you know the the cake the scotch egg the filling the, the part around the scotch egg is amazing so you've bitten through that <laughs> the problem is is that the egg in the middle has gone off <laughs> bizarre but accurate analogy i've, I've heard in a long time <laughs> uh, you know that the pork pie filling around the pork you know pork breaded pork is gorgeous and you're like oh she's gonna be so good inside and suddenly the, the egg is dog <laughs> Um, inside this beautiful filling and it's not it's not gone off it's just it's lost all taste scotch dog egg it's lost everything it's scotch dog egg yeah (laughs) that's what we've got here scotching of things Oh, it's a Scotch dog egg. They've scotched, you know, they, they, they scotch their <laughs> eggs. They scotch everything. They scotch <laughs> Scotch pie, Scotch pants, <laughs> Scotch money. They just they just cover everything in breadcrumb and meat. And you know, sometimes that works, Mars bars, and sometimes it doesn't. Dog eggs. No, no one should eat a Mars bar covered in meat and breadcrumbs. <laughs> no, I would. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I would as well. Of course you would. And then it's clean up time. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, now you know why. <laughs> oh, oh, That's what produces somebody, the web. <laughs> somebody think of the children. <laughs> so, yes, all that is great. Everything around it. Because the game is like a bad... You know, it's not. A, sorry, I, I think about how it's not a bad... It's just a dull egg. The egg, egg has lost all taste. There's nothing to it. So this kind of destructural, futuristic Grand Prix season that you progress through, it's, it's a nice idea. It's just the races are really dull. <laughs> They're really boring. And so there's nothing... You know, the, the actual game is is really disappointing because yep. everything looks great i don't mind the graphics i think the graphics are quite cool it moves at that typical braybrook pace the scrolling is incredibly smooth the actual chip design your ship down is great you know open up basic and the winged version the loop the loop as you said the speed up height option it's all there it's just dull to just do it time and time again and like i said you know the, the death of your ship when you crash and that crash landing thing it's all brilliant everything looks great it just gets very samey very mm. quickly and there's nothing making you want to come back to it no nothing and it's a real disappointment i think this because there's a there's a there's something here but there's i think so much time spent on the periphery yeah. on you know on that sausage meat that um that the middle has been forgotten and about the egg got lost in the mix <laughs> it did and and that's a shame because i really i i have fond memories of alley cat but going back to it i was i was mm. robbed of them i think and, and and i didn't really didn't enjoy my time at what this, surprised with it this time. me with alley cat was that it didn't have more of the the logic around making your vehicle the thing that would be really cool. So upgrading your vehicle in little bits. A bit yes. like you do with a Ghostbusters car, you know, where you can like, bolt bits on. And, and I think, like, like I said, that whole idea of it being a bit like the pod racer part of Star Wars. You know, just mm-hmm. allied that for a minute and just, you know, imagine a, a sort of super speed futuristic racer where you could build extra speed components to your vehicle and weapons. That... Is I, that's what I imagined in my mind. Alicat would be, but it's it. It almost has that 
central race logic, but none of the other dressing. And I think that's really where it could have really made something out of it. It surprises me that Braybrook didn't go down that road with this. This would have been better if it had got rid of the enemies coming towards you and just had some other racers on the yeah, track. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, completely. It would have made more sense to be a racer than a shmup. Yeah, you could have still had the shooting stuff. So the other enemies yeah. were shooting stuff as well. You could bump them into like, like Spy Hunter. Remember as well, this is this is very influenced by... Uh, Pathfinder, Pathfinder, Pathfinder. It is. It is visually from a visual standpoint, as we said, ages, years and years ago, ages ago. And I think that I actually completely agree with you. If this had have been, make it more like Spy Hunter, where you're just in a race and there's things that are going to get in your way and you've got to get them out of the way and do stuff. Make it more about that and that make other competitors. You could even make it two player, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of mistricks with Ali Cat. It's such a shame, really. I'm surprised it scored as highly as it did. I'm not surprised though because Zap's scoring has gone well, I think wild. There was, there was there was disagreement on this review. I think it's Gary Penn who thinks like thought like us, and the others liked it. So I think this was a. Okay. I think there was some people that would have put this in the system. And I think Gary it's well, Gary Penn who's going. This what? is really dull. At some point, I think because I know that Julian Rignall, you know, certainly follows us on Twitter, and he is certainly very active in the whole retro and and C64 scene still. I'd like to actually ask Julian Rignall about that. I, one of the, it's one of the many questions I've got for Julian Rignall, which is and one of my other questions is, how high did your hair spikes reach? Um, because they were, they were kind of, I aspired almost to have hair spikes like that. And my hair he was did. never going to be that spiky, but I did at one point have hair spikes like that. He did. I remember that. And I had shaved, I'd shaved the sides off my head. You shaved your sideburns? <laughs> I did. I did. I wanted to be in the uh, Simpsons baseball team. <laughs> Between us, sort of thing, we were half Rignall. Between <laughs> us, we were making sure we were never going to get laid. That's that. That, that was our plan. <laughs> not for many a year, <laughs> especially not when I was running around going, "It's cleanup time." Uh, I had long, spiky hair and mullet and a mustache. Things were never going to go well for me, and that's it. You know, it was never going to work. The, quite the catch. Quite the catch. Yeah, but Ali Cat, on the other hand, awful. Well, not awful. Yeah. That's actually the wrong word. Just I it's think a bo- it, it's a boring egg in lovely yeah, meat. Yeah, it is. It is. It's properly, you know, you bite into the Scotch egg, and in the middle of that, you're going to find, you know, a, an actual real egg that's not cooked. It's just going to crack in your mouth. You're, you're eating yolk and and what's the white bit? Albumin, I guess. Albumin. Yeah, you got full on albumin dribble in your beard. Oh, that's gross, isn't it? Is, have you ever tried to actually eat a raw egg? And on that note, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> We're not getting into your like uh, open your heart stuff again <laughs> with about eggs. <laughs> We've been there. Um, here we go, Ali Cat. <laughs> I think we need to end there. Yes, I quickly. Think we do. Uh, right. So Ali Cat yeah, is disappointing. The, uh... Ali Cat. <laughs> there we go. We didn't cover a couple of games. There was two Trivial Pursuit games in this uh, episode. One got a sizzler and one we'll didn't. We'll come back to them maybe in some way at some point. Maybe, you maybe know. I don't know. We'd need to do a multiplayer, wouldn't we? Yeah, Trivial Pursuit, got a sizzler, Mind Pursuit. But the Pursuit, the Pursuit games, the Trivial Pursuit games, so you need multiple players. And um, we don't have them at the moment, so there you, you go. Right, so what have we got now coming up? Oh, that's the last of our games. We've got some crap birds. <laughs> Now, the first one's not so much a crap bird as a bizarre bird. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Is this the Cholo? Cholo. What? There's some poly- so this is Cholo by, I think, British Telecom. It is. Well, there's a Telecom logo up there. Firebird. Uh, Firebird British, oh, they were owned by British Telecom. But it's yeah. also gold. So it's got that gold <laughs> logo that in the there? bottom right-hand corner. I don't know. Maybe they really like the Spandau Ballet song. 
Look at the prices. Goodness me. Yeah, I know. Fourteen ninety five on cassette. I don't know what this is. Seventeen ninety five on disc. And what's the yeah. ni- what's the nineteen ninety five? That's disc for Amstrad. Did Amstrads have discs? Yeah, there was the six four six one there. Weren't there. I don't know. I there was don't want to know. Four six four. I think the six four six. I could be wrong. I don't know my Amstrad numerology. With no screen grabs, it's like hieroglyphics. With no screen grabs of this game, I can only assume that it's crap. And it's well, what is, it, what is it? I don't know. Are you looking from the floor up at like a street view? Are they oh, buildings God, yeah. Are going they, up? Yeah, they're like skyscrapers, don't they? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Skyscraper in that. front of you, and then in the middle. So that's all black and grey. Yeah, and you're kind of looking up with perspective. But then in the middle, there's these yellow polygons floating around. It reminds me of Demon Seed. <laughs> it reminds me of many bad things, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the script, in the middle of it though, there's just a white cross here. Yes. There's some red borders around the edge, and then on the left, in sort of a rounded font, just says Cholo, and both the O's have different coloured in a different coloured in middles, no, a green no, and a blue one. This part of the general typographic and design layout of this that I really like. Yeah, it's not bad. I said it's a bizarre verb. No, it, it's got a nice sort of... There's a nice it's construction the poly, It's the polygons it. in the middle. Yeah, I think just... And across crosshair. And the cholo doesn't... It's all incoherent, and I think... I'm not sure quite what that means and what it is. And mm. cholo sounds like a really crap kind of anachronism or an anagram of something that you you text somebody a bit like lol or rofl. And <laughs> so cholo Cry- must stand for something. Crying hard of loud oranges. Yeah, clap hands over large orange. <laughs> <laughs> There it is. Um, so I've followed. <laughs> or clap hands over large orifice. Um, Ew. <laughs> it's clean-up time. <laughs> Clean hands. Uh, no. Um, so I don't know what Cholo means. I'm not sure what it is. And the target, the reticule in the middle, means maybe it's some kind of shooty logic. I don't know what it is. I, I do like the visual design of the background behind the Cholo and the orange 3D object. I like the little typographic touches at the top. That's actually very, very early 2000s web design. A lot of early Flash websites looked a bit like this. So there's a nice futuristic idea around it, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. No, my issue with this is that it's, as we said before, it's a, all the constituent ingredients, but they don't go together. No. They don't, they don't gel. The, the, the polygons in the middle don't gel with the black and grey background. The cholo writing doesn't fit with the hard edge polygons. And it doesn't fit with the sort of red and sort of bare bones typographical stuff at no. the top. And I notice it says it's available for BBC, yeah. which tells me that it, that's probably where it started. The journey of this game started on the BBC. So you know it's going to be a little bit shit. Probably. Yeah, probably and it also that shit. gold in the bottom right hand corner doesn't deserve... I don't know, I don't know what that means. I actually quite like the typographic G. I don't know why, really. I just quite like the way they've tied it in. It means nothing, though. I like the Firebird logo. I just don't get this. It's As a coherent whole, it's mm. gibberish. But from a design point of view, it's a nice step in the right direction. There's a nice typeface. Do not ever fill in your O's with a colour. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. that is, you know, that makes me want to reach back in time and pull your <laughs> eyeballs out to get the time machine out no exactly and it does also feel like you notice the way it's got them little red lines and the little squares in the corner yeah, yeah. that does feel like an illustrator scale tool that's been left left on the screen that's yeah that's what i thought as well yes yeah but it kind of works and i quite like the sci-fi font never do that in white 
that would have worked so much better if it was in silhouette or there's a million ways you can do that i might do that eventually i never you never i think you'd have just been better for me you would have just been better if cholo would have gone across the middle instead of going down across the middle got Mm. rid of that crosshair and maybe even just got rid of the yellow stuff as well and just had that typeface just had the background just cholo across the middle well i kept it simple if i was going to just dissect it very quickly i had to get rid of the gold i'd reduce the size of the firebird i would keep the typographic little display the red stuff and the little white text i would get rid of the whatever the hell that is in the middle and the reticule and the cholo i would have made a very smaller much smaller textual content somewhere on it wouldn't certainly wouldn't have been to try a lot of these games do that in the 80s though they try and make the brand and the logo the thing and it's always in competition with things like the firebird logo and stuff a game doesn't need a brand it just needs to represent but that's that's actually 80s design logic that's that comes later in the 90s and the 2000s where the subtlety and the idea of representing a brand but not necessarily having to show it off in a logo and a font that comes a lot later in this early 80s style it's very heavily influenced by that i i actually find it genuinely fascinating as someone that really enjoys design and typography like that but there's a wipeout vibe to this from one of example yes yes that's actually not a bad call yeah there is and it predates that by 20 years so that's quite interesting yeah well, 10 yeah. years, 10, 15 no, years. 10 years, yeah, 10. Yeah, so All right, there you go. That's Cholo, which is interesting, but mismatched. The next one's awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to tell us about the next one? Prodigy? I'm not even sure where you begin with this. I don't know if, if it, because it's bloody electric dreams, isn't it? It is. And do you know, in the back of my mind, whenever I see electric dreams, I think they got the Big Trouble and Little China license somehow. So I'm like, Did they? Yeah, oh yeah, it's them. Makes me nervous. I didn't even know there was a game based on yeah, that. Yeah, oh, there is. That. We'll come across it, no doubt. Um, so this is a game called Prodigy. And this is, in the, the graphic images is of a, of a space man, space person on a landscape. L- looks like he's trapped in a container ship storage area looking <laughs> yeah. looking at a giant diamond on a plinth and there's a screen above the game which looks like an isometric nightmare for me yeah and then there's the does. bottom i'd say probably third of the image because that's the top two thirds is the prodigy logo is the upper quadrant done in a kind of a jiggity jaggedy 80s style pointy font which doesn't really shout and it's got a drop shadow on it again but at least it's not a you know it's not a terrible drop shadow but it has none of it makes any cohesion or sense it's got the classic Let's Dreams triangle, of course. The triangles appeared in there. Yep. And it says, inexplicably, synthetic man changes nappy. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what that means. I don't understand why it even says that. No. And then there's a description underneath. Macabre mech labs infested with genetic horrors hinder solo. A synthetic man and Nijo, a human baby. And it just, honestly, I'm not going to read it all to you. Just check out the crap vert on the crapfurt's link for the website because it's just gibberish it makes no bloody sense whatsoever an outstanding achievement of graphics and animation says the company that made the game prodigy takes you into the mech labs of mech world where you must guide solo the sintleman through the ice zone fire zone tech zone and veggie zone veggie zone (laughs) in his quest for escape now fire Ice and tech, I couldn't understand. Veggie zone? Is he surrounded by vegans just angrily telling him how much meat he's eating? I don't know. Or how much meat they're not eating. Solo has to look after the needs of Nedjo. Nijo, cleaning him up. That sounds frantic and horrific. <laughs> Feeding him 
and protecting him as they make their way through the intelligent mazes, blah, 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 and the uncanny vegetation created by the sorcerer Wardlock. It's just introducing Who, stupid shit. as a machine being, is malevolent towards organic life. Prodigy is a game which demands compassion, guts, and intelligence in ways no other game does. Because games don't require those things. No, not ever. generally. You don't require compassion, guts, and intelligence. Well, maybe a bit of intelligence, but compassion and guts aren't generally prerequisites for a game. I also hate the fact that somebody's highlighted these bits in pink oh, uh, pink, pink highlighter to sort of say, it's obviously to make, oh, just change these bits and they've left and they've left them in. <laughs> I have to ask AD, are the people that make these adverts f***ing colourblind or something? <laughs> At pink what point yellow. do you create bright pink on yellow and then write on it with red just are you stupid in a way that is indefinable is there some at some point somebody qa'd this and looked at that and went yeah that's great you can't read the damn word you stupid fucking idiot you can't read it you can't read those words and it says 3d four-way control and landscape just the maths of that break my brain 3d four-way <laughs> An outstanding <laughs> musical soundtrack combined with stunning sound effects. Just, just what they say themselves. Nobody's agreeing to that. This is just stupid in a stupid way. And then that's just the text. The image itself is is badly drawn. His legs have got wobbly, wiggly. He's in a suit, but he's got massive. That suit is loose of leg, tight on ass. Very tight Except on that ass. That is cupping his ass cheeks <laughs> to the point when that's going to be uncomfortable because he's almost got an, a, a bulbous ass. He's almost got a single cheek. And like, see, if, if he farts in that, he's ripping out that suit. It's going to open. <laughs> yeah, those tanks are going to blow. Exactly. <laughs> he's got two massive, what I guess are oxygen tubes, feeding I into his so. space helmet. I hate the fact as well that he's outlined and nothing else in the oh, images. Don't. When I saw that, I'm like, why? That shouts, it was drawn and added. And they've put that crappy shadow on as well, which makes no sense whatsoever. No. It's just, I don't it's get It's bad. It's a it bad all. thing. It's just, it's a, it's a classic crap there and it's just another electric dreams monstrosity just i don't know what goes on in southampton do they just no i think these these are definitely eating too many of them kind of scotch eggs we've talked about it's all scotch and no egg it's just feasting on the egg of dog oh it's just crap but check out the check out the crap there on the website if you don't believe what we're saying about it please feel free to check it out you will yeah. as you see that take an oral and a visual dump in your own eyes yeah. Or if you're watching this on the YouTube version, you'll already be able to see it. Exactly. Right in you, front of you, you are going to shit out of your own eyes. You're just going <laughs> to going to blink and there'll be turds on your eyelids. You're like, how did that happen? Ah, ah, ah. Oh, it's, it's clean up time. You're going to need a baby wipe. Oh, yeah. Let's move. Let's come on. Let's let's get to the end of this because I can't get any more looking at that. Let's do, let's do, right, well, we got the charts. What was going in the charts? Oh, there was a load of new stuff here. We had at number 10 straight in it was Dan Dare. Uh, number, number down to number nine was Ghost and Goblins. Mm. Straight in at number eight was Ninja. Jeez, oh, <laughs> hiding Where his way is in. Is my Ninja? <laughs> I can't see him anymore. <laughs> yeah, in at number seven, I'm losing track. Was Warhawk up to number six? Was Parallax down to number five? Was Speed King mm. up to number four? Hole in one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
down to number three was Dragon's Lair. Aye. Go for Gold. Oh, that's Hess Games, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and at number two is Hess Games, Go for Gold uh, on Americana. Straight in at number one was Super Cycle. Which makes sense. Makes sense. It does, yeah. It's a big game that was. And people, people liked Hang On in the arcade. So this is your closest you've uh, got to Hang On Klingon. at home. And it's a... <laughs> <laughs> Grasp on. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. There we go. That's your charts. There's your crap verts. What we got coming up Ooh, we've in the got next some couple of weeks. There's in this next episode. Yeah, we've got Mad Nurse. Finally. <laughs> it's only taken, Finally. Uh, only taken seven, oh. seven or eight years. Ooh. All right, so we've got 180 Ace of Aces and Tyriad. Now, the Archers, that must be an adventure game. Must be. Must be. Must be. BMX Simulator, oh, Bobby dear. Bearing. Oh, dear. No, there's the Boulder Dash Construction Kit. Finally. I don't know if we're going to look at that, but anyway. Captain Kelly. Mm. Don't know about that. Dante's Inferno. Yay. Fist 2. Oh, good God. Glider Rider. Interesting. Uh, highway encounter mm. uh, i think inheritance that's around the same place as the archer so i'm guessing that's uh yeah it is because qua and leather goddess is a phobos is that leather goddess of phobos, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is yeah so it's the uh, infocom game madness oh. marble madness Ooh. montezuma's revenge so we can get attacked by head bones <laughs> <laughs> or skulls to you and look i after, look after your head bone <laughs> Uh, movie monster. Oh dear! I don't, that's an epic. Is that an epic? I don't know. Orpheus in the underworld. Okay. Don't remember that at all. Uh, the pawns and adventure game. And have games. you been in the stage play of Orpheus in the underworld? I was. I played Mercury. Yes. Uh, I did. Pub games. Red Max. Robo Bolt. The Sentinel. Oh my God! I think we're going to get make people angry with that. Uh, Soldier <laughs> One. Street Surfer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just going to beat around the bush. I reckon there's loads of people that like Sentinel, but they're going to listen to us and they're going to go, I'm never listening to this again. I am going to give it a replay because I... I suffered, like I I suffered through Elite. I suffered through Mercenary. <laughs> and now you've said the Sentinels. Cr- it might be good. We don't, I don't know. We don't know. I'm going to replay it with open eyes, I'm telling you, because I have a feeling it's well, probably it's a lot better a, than I thought. And it's also better than playing it with closed eyes. Yes. That would be bad. Um, Strike Force Cobra. Interesting. No idea. Trailblazer. Yeah, Trapdoor. Cool. Oh. And Uchimata. Oh, the old uh, Uchimata game, yeah. Judy, judo. judo simulator. Not Judy simulator. <laughs> just play, play a random Judy. <laughs> punch. Punch and Judy. It is actually that. They, they could have called it that. Yeah, Punch and Judy. You, hey. you Punch and I'll Judy. <laughs> so this morning with Punch and Judy. <laughs> Jesus. I think, um, I think it's time to it. go. I think it really is time to go. Thank you for listening, if you're still with us. It is indeed clean-up time here. <laughs> so, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Scotch without the egg, Graham Reddings. <laughs> and you have been listening to Glorious Sausage Meat with the dog egg in the middle. <laughs> um, and for that, we can only apologise. So we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at zaptothe, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. 
something. Apparently, the Zaps of the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.